It's Tuesday, August 24th, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by ManRubs, ManRubs.com. They've got barbecue rubs, they've got barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, mugs, and all-around barbecue-related gear, anything you could possibly need in the barbecue world. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off everything in their store. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear and StayReadyGear.com. On Instagram, StayReadyGearUSA. Steak5% is your promo code. For 5% off holsters, EDC stuff, custom holsters, on and off duty gear for all you law enforcement guys. I like it. Some of the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear can be found at odyssey.com. They're also on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they are of extremely high quality. Oh yeah. So if you're getting into the uh, recording game or just are messing around trying to get started, uh, make sure you get over there and check out some of their stuff. A little bit on the high-end side, but quality-wise, unmatched, to say the least. Um, saving lives is something that uh, you never want to do mediocrely. But <laughs> if you are in the business of occasionally uh, letting one slip, you definitely want to... Oops. Yeah. Get over to MediocreMedic.com and check out some of their gear so you can uh, at least people at least let people know you're coming. Uh, they've got T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, stickers, patches, and more over there. You don't want to do the milk crate challenge with a gurney. Definitely don't want to do that. And you don't want me around trying to fix you if you <laughs> end up on the ground like most of these other people. Firearms. I like them. We hold them near and dear on this show. And uh, Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms is your one-stop shop for everything firearm-related. He's got guns, obviously. Um, ammo, cleaning kits, cases holsters and more mike's been servicing southern california for over a decade he's got a five-star rating and he's a licensed ffl he's available on facebook messenger west coast survival arms.com and if you want to hit him up on the phone and ask him questions about ammo or things that he's got on his newly redesigned website give him a call at 619-870-6992 the patch father Mm. mark joe friday dumpbox.us can't beat it got patches pins Everywhere, coronavirus veteran flag hanging up in the studio right now. I actually brought my coffee cup today because we're recording a little bit earlier. Got some zero fucks ducks on my coffee cup. Dangerous goods. Make Space Force great again. Mark's got... Make Zero Gravity great again. Yeah. Make everything great again by visiting Dumpbox and Dumpbox.us. Mike's also on Instagram. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, welcome. Episode 57, Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan, and joined, as always now, are my two favorite patriots, Noah. What's happening? How you doing? Here I am. And Miss Antoinette, hello. Hello, hello, guys. How are you? Better now that we see you every week. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, Thank ladies you. and gentlemen, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll see a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, Antoinette's social medias, Telegram websites, how to stream the show, and more. We've got a huge show today, 
But before we get to the news, joining us today, he's a former Trump strategist, an America First political consultant, and the executive director of lookaheadamerica.org. Mr. Matt Brainerd, thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. I'm glad to be here, and I do enjoy a good steak for breakfast. It's hard to find a patriot that doesn't. Right. How are you doing today, sir? Mm -hmm. Better than Custer. Just really glad to be here with you guys. Glad to hear it. Um, Before we get into it, why don't you tell us about lookaheadamerica.org and and what exactly you've got going on there? Well, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, We started Look Ahead America about five years ago. Um, And our objective was to create America First Community Organizing. Mm -hmm. For generations, the left has dominated the field of community organizing. If you look at the many losses that we on the right have suffered at the local, state, and federal level on issue after issue, in all kinds of ways, you can all trace it back to one thing, and that is the left has dominated the field of community organizing. What does community organizing mean? It means being organized in the community to achieve very straightforward objectives. Uh, number one among those objectives is voter registration, education, and turnout. There's also direct action. There's also educating state and federal and local uh, officials, legislators, politicians on issues and making them aware of what matters and what's important. Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole scope of community organizing and what it means. And we are engaged in it on every level at the local, state, and federal level. We have Leadership right now, I think, in 40 different states. We've got thousands of volunteers coast for coast. Um, And apart from our field program, we also have a research group, which are a carefully screened group of uh, volunteers who engage in research projects for us, specifically, or most frequently, um, regarding uh, illegal ballots and election integrity issues. So we kind of of run the gambit. And um, I will tell you that when we first started the organization, we didn't really get very much attention. And in fact, I kind of thought it was dead. And I even let our 501c3 status lapse because we weren't raising any money and was paying us any attention. But in the aftermath of the 2020 general election, um, I created something called the Voter Integrity Project. Mm -hmm. We started to do research to identify illegal ballots. And we were brought into many uh, of the uh, uh, hearings held by legislatures as well as litigation. And and eventually were um, included as part of President Trump's uh, uh, legal team uh, in several of his states. And in the aftermath of that, I kind of, we had money left over because we had crowdfunded that effort. And I decided to pour that back into Look Ahead America to try and jumpstart it. Um, and again, focusing on what we originally started to do, America First Community Organizing, with a little bit of extra attention on things like voter integrity. And since then, we've been uh, very successful. We now have uh, 12 full-time staffers and we're expanding. Um, all across the country, uh, we've got a very competent national team. We've got very uh, in, a very aggressive voter registration operation and, and reasonably well-funded in Arizona. And we've got uh, direct operations in uh, states from uh, coast to coast. Well, that's pretty amazing and good to hear. It seems like you're hitting it from a lot of different angles and uh, focusing on a lot of the things that I'm going to be asking you about here in a few minutes. One thing that I did want to touch on before we get into the pressing issues of today and the now. Uh, you did mention, you know, working with the Trump campaign uh, back in years past. Can you just like give our audience, because it's, it's an America First Agenda show that we have, what that overall experience was like kind of working in that machine? Oh, it was probably the best job I've ever had. Um, so I started with the Trump campaign pretty early and uh, it really wasn't a lot of infrastructure at that point. There are a few people on payroll scattered around the country. 
And my job was to develop a strategy and then execute that strategy in all of our the states where we had a program. Um, but the campaign faced, I would call it an existential crisis, where we had a candidate who on his own, all by himself, could do many of the traditional activities that would be the responsibility of the campaign, such as developing a message and then getting that message out to voters. Because other campaigns were spending millions of dollars stuffing people's mailboxes full and you know, ringing their phones off the hooks, spreading their message, whereas our candidate could do all of that with a tweet or just by dialing in to a morning show or by throwing a rally. So the mm -hmm. question became, what can a campaign do that has a candidate like that? What, what purpose can we serve? And the purpose I identified for us and uh, that we embraced was to identify people who were supportive of our candidate, who shared his worldview, who were enthusiastic about him, but who were not traditional voters and do everything we could to drive them to the polls. And I think the best illustration of the success of this was the New Hampshire primary victory mm -hmm. where our candidate got 100,000 votes. Now, on that day, 65,000 people who had never voted in a Republican primary before showed up and voted. And I think that that, that, was, that was our strategy to be relevant. And that, that continued all the way through the general where there are a lot of people who had not previously been engaged because they never heard somebody who really resonated with them, who spoke on issues that matter to them. Finally, they heard a candidate who did. And our job was to make sure they, they voted, that they knew how to vote. In many cases, if you're not in the culture or habit of voting, uh, little things like, where's my polling place? What hours is it open? Can I vote early? What are the rules for that? And making sure all of our people knew all of that and that we, we test them, I think as many as a dozen times across phones, doors, robocalls, direct mail, everything else to make sure they knew how to vote and to make sure that they did vote. Yeah, that's pretty uh, awesome the way you guys kind of brought that whole new formula into getting the word out and making sure it stays on people's minds um, about not only just uh, knowing who's running, but why they're running and what the important issues are. I think that's extremely critical and probably very appealing to the, especially like you mentioned, new voters that, that kind of uh, brings them in and keeps them engaged in the uh, movement. Yeah, that's, that's sort of pivotal. I mean, in the past, the model for winning elections was typically to find a couple percentage of people who are, you know, the uh, swing voters. Right. But I think that has in many ways gone away where now it's really about finding your base, expanding your base through voter registration, and then making sure all of your people turn out. And it's less a matter, I think, in some ways of persuasion, but more a matter of agitation to make sure that the people who are favorable to your candidacy are angry enough and fearful enough to show up and vote. Yeah, that's an excellent point right there. Um, getting into some of the issues that are that are prevalent now, but kind of staying in the same thread. Um, I think one of the biggest ones going on now and probably something that needs to be addressed uh, overall is getting a disposition into what exactly took place during the 2020 presidential election. Um, you know, there is so much stuff going on. Uh, obviously, we're getting close to a reveal in Arizona and uh, we should have that very soon. Um, you know, and, and then all the other stuff that's going on. I, I saw Seth Keschel uh, posted a thread last night talking about how, you know, someone in the states of like Michigan and Wisconsin 
are talking about how, uh, you know, establishment rhino Republicans and, and career Democrat uh, elected officials are going around basically telling them if they keep riding this, want to do an audit train, they're going to be basically canceled, removed from committees, and, and basically like the equivalent of, you know, stocking shelves as far as elected officials go. You got the mess down in Georgia, uh, the incident that happened in Pennsylvania last Friday with Doug Mastriano and his entire staff. Um, it's a mess. And, you know, lights are being shown on, on, on certain parts, but a lot of holdups. What 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 do you feel about that whole situation? And then wh- wh- where do you think eventually that, you know, if you want to hypothesize with us, where this race to find out what happened um, is going as we're inching closer every day to primary season for 2022? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. I'm afraid I'm going to have to give you a big answer. <laughs> Already. Uh, so here, let's just look at what we believe happened. And I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking for a look ahead. And again, to be clear, Look Ahead America is a 51c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan group. We don't endorse candidates or anything like that. So just and and that's separate from my work as a political consultant. Right. Um, so uh, in the aftermath of the 2020 election, I thought that the results were a little a little odd, and uh, we crowdfunded about six hundred thousand dollars to do research. And that money paid for some very expensive data, very expensive data processing, and a whole lot of call centers. And uh, you know, I, I did not take a penny of that money myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we concluded preliminarily, preliminary, our conclusion was this, is that the number of ballots surpa- that were illegal surpassed the margin of victory in enough states such that the deserved winner of the presidential election was unknown, unknowable. Because once a ballot has been cast and it's been stripped out of its envelope and thrown in the pile with everything else, if you say that person's ballot was illegal and you're able to prove it was cast illegally, you don't actually then know who it was cast for. But if you know the margin of victory is surpassed by the number of illegal ballots, that means that who is actually the winner is unknowable. And since then, we have provided supplemental reports where we go went into the original findings and fortify them and confirm them beyond a reasonable doubt. So in the case of Georgia and Wisconsin, we have done that already. Mm-hmm. If we do, when we accomplish that in Arizona, which we're working on now, those three states, if we don't know who won those states, we also don't know who really won the presidency. And we can probably do that analysis without a whole lot of effort in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And our analysis is pretty straightforward and Look, it doesn't require you to be an expert in statistics or a uh, some special knowledge of forensics, and I don't need to convince you of it. It's very simple. It's that this is probably our best way of detecting people who cast who had illegal ballots cast in their name. Is that they didn't have residency to cast a ballot in the state. We established that because they told the postal service they permanently moved out of that state more than 30 days before the election, and we find social media, driver's license records, property records, tax records showing that yeah, they live work eat and breathe in, say, California, but they thought their vote didn't matter in California. They were able to get a ballot in Georgia and they cast it. Mm-hmm. And in the state where about 5 million votes were count, is it really beyond reasonable doubt that about 12,000 ballots were cast illegally by people who meet that those conditions out of 5 million? Is it really that unreasonable to expect that happen, especially given how sloppily the, the state of Georgia ran its elections and maintains its voter rolls? Yep. And we see the same thing in Wisconsin. We've seen the same thing in Arizona. And that's a very easy lift. In fact, the state of Georgia just did a purge of over 100,000 people from their voter list using the same exact technique that we used to identify the illegal voters. 
Um, and I think that's a pretty easy basket. The problem is, is that emit solves this, uh, a lot of, I would call them fairly kooky claims. Um, all the Kraken stuff and all of the uh, analysis of uh, these advanced statistical analysis where when somebody's explaining it to you, they're not really explaining to you the uh, graduate level statistics. What they're doing is convincing you that you're, they are somebody that you should trust. And if you're inclined to believe them, you just go ahead and trust them. And then you believe that they proved it to you by showing you a line chart or something like that, or some kind of statistical analysis when they've done nothing of the kind. And when you get somebody who is strong and straightforward and actually understands what they're trying to say, you know that they're uh, full of it. Um, whereas our analysis is right. You, you completely, you've probably moved. You probably filled out that card to forward your mail. Well, that can be purchased. That's in a database. The government sells it. It's very straightforward. So we were able to demonstrate that. Now, would I, would I say the election is stolen on that basis or because of something that specific? No, but what I can say is that the, the deserved winner appears to be unknowable. Mm -hmm. And that actually is the standard in many courts or has been the standard legally to have an election undone to uh, have the, vac the winner vacated and to have a new election called. The presidential is different because of the complicated rules regarding that. But you've seen that happen, I think, with uh, congressional members, with local. It just it, you know, it happened in New Jersey in, in 2020. So we've seen it happen before. Um, so in the aftermath of that, um, there, are, there are a whole lot of other things also that happen. Laws were changed in terms of ballot accessibility. Thousands, I would say millions of people in Georgia were disenfranchised. Yep. Because of in Fulton County, you can vote on Sundays and they have souls to the polls. In most of the rural counties, you can't do that. That is disenfranchising. And we actually are launching a project in Virginia to address that called Patriotic Souls to the Polls. And maybe I'll have our uh, national field director come and talk in detail about our plan to solve that problem in Georgia. You had many states changing the rules for voting um, to make it uh, in some ways easier, but easier for some people. You had billionaires investing money in election systems, again, in ways that favored certain parts of the state that voted the way they wanted them to vote, but did not invest those money in areas of the state where they, they did not like how the people there voted. You had a national media suppress and tech oligarchs suppress a story written about one of the presidential candidates, made, just made it disappear. Yep. Now, in that way, I would argue that the suppression of the New York Post story of uh, Joe Biden, his family's business and entanglement with Russia, and all the lies told about it, and the fact you couldn't share it on different social media, I would say that's that's stealing an election, but I can't make that claim in the technical ballot way. Now, now we get these audits, okay? I think that the audits are are generally a good thing, um, especially if they're done by people who know what they're doing, who have expect experience in election election administration. I myself have worked in the election field for um, ten years longer than Mike Lindell has been making pillows. <laughs> that's how long I've been in this field, and uh, I think that there's um, great opportunity to, in many ways, illuminate not necessarily ballot fraud, but in many cases, the kind of sloppy, uh, the, the sloppy administration of elections that happens in every state. And, uh, it, you know, it's still a government. And why would we be surprised that elections are badly managed, just like everything else the government does is badly, horrifically badly managed. And I've actually consulted with several states that are about to go down the uh, audit line with some of the people that are in charge of those audits, giving them ideas about how they could potentially do an audit in a way that's cost effective and would um, demonst either demonstrate something nefarious happened or that there was voter fraud, or at least be pretty transparent that, okay, 
um, there wasn't voter fraud or it was so minimal that it didn't have an impact on the election. Because I'll tell you, in every election, there is voter fraud. Yeah. There's always voter fraud. But we're mostly saved from it being determinative by a margin of victory. But when you had an election like we did in 2020 with three or four or five states with razor close margins, I will, you know, we believe that illegal ballots are determinative. But here's here's sort of the problem with all of that. And this is sort of what troubles me a little bit about the audits, especially these audits that are being, uh, I think, a grift for millions and millions of dollars um, for outside companies to uh, and, and outside organizations to raise money off of them. The problem is, is that while illegal ballots did make were, were determinative, what had a much bigger impact was the left invested hundreds of millions of dollars in voter registration, education, and turnout operations. That had a 100 to 1,000 times greater impact on the outcome of the election. And while everybody's focused on election integrity and voter fraud and legal ballots, and look ahead, America is too. Look, we've done the reports. We've proven beyond reasonable doubt in Wisconsin and in Georgia. We're going to prove it in Arizona. We've, we're addressing this directly by helping clean voter lists in mm-hmm. states ahead of the elections. We've introduced very aggressive public policy initiatives to, for voter integrity reform that many states are looking at, and some are introducing legislation based on our recommended policies, um, which we think will solve all the problems that we saw in 2020. All of that aside, what really made the big impact was the community organizing, traditional community organizing, where you had hundreds of millions of dollars spent on voter registration, education, and turnout on the left. I used to go to a meeting every week on Wednesday in DC. It's an off-the-record meeting, but at the beginning of the year, I would always show up and talk to them about how many more progressive voters are being registered in each of these key states than conservative patriotic voters. And I would get up, I'd do my presentation every year. The numbers got bigger and bigger and bigger, the deficit between the two, in the millions in these states unsustainable. And I would give that presentation. And in that room would be representatives from the White House, Senate leadership, House leadership, every organization you can imagine, you know, for every cause based in DC. And then I would finish and I would go to the lobby and no one would talk to me. No one was even interested. Very unsexy. Mm. And it's troubling to me in a way that, um, you know, we tried to raise money for Look at America to do voter registration for five years. I don't think we we were trying to raise $600,000 for a pilot program in Virginia that would have paid for a bunch of staff, a bunch of field offices really doing, because let me tell you, voter registration is incredibly difficult. It is very difficult for a lot of reasons, but the left understands that and they accept the cost. The right, man, I couldn't, I, I talked to every major donor you could imagine. I did everything I could to promote it by getting, doing earned media hits, et cetera. No one cared. But within about two weeks, for voter fraud in the investigation after 2020, we raised $600,000, over 600 in about two weeks. If I had only been able to do that in previous years, if these people that we were trying to target to turn out and vote had done so, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think a lot of those big donors probably learned their lesson shortly after November 7th about the consequences yeah. of, not, of not really investing into uh, you know, what happens before an election can sometimes lead to the results or not. And that's definitely an angle we don't hear about much of, you know, pumping money into certain areas of voters that you like versus you don't like. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's very unsexy. I mean, they will happily spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad. Right. Right. But getting them to, to invest in the very difficult job of setting up field offices in states through a nonprofit like us and doing voter registration 
Man, we got people out in Arizona right now in that hot sun with clipboards standing outside of uh, gyms and DMVs and uh, uh, gun shops, that kind of thing. That is, that is, and Home Depots, that is brutally difficult work yeah. to do. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not clickbait. It's not sexy. It's not something you get angry about. Like, you know, uh, whatever the world. And, and look, the reason we named the organization Look Ahead is because I was frustrated by our constant focus on what's immediate and sexy and clickbait in the moment. Like, I don't know, what do we look, what, what's hot right now? Um, Afghanistan, COVID mandates, mask mandates, vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. And we're focusing on these things that are just you know of this moment right now. And, and you go back two months ago, it was whatever, whatever it was, like uh, Mar- uh, uh, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, or that issue hot and, and, and right. That, rather than focusing on those things at the moment, really looking ahead and what was fundamentally happening, the ground shifting underneath our feet without us noticing it, is these voter registration deficits where mm-hmm. the progressives are, are piling up numbers and no one on the right is doing. And then you think, well, why are we in the mess we're in right now? It's because for the last four or five years, the left has been aggressively registering, educating, and turning out their voters. Yep. And, and we're trying to react to what's happening in this moment without recognizing that this moment was set up years ago. And instead of planning for years ahead of now with a voter registration effort and programs that look ahead is, is you know, that we're advocating for, instead we're focusing on like what's hot at the moment. And that's, that seems to be what's, you know, raising money or what, what's getting people's attention, what's getting media coverage. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, America First candidates, we've had a couple um, who have come on and told us why on our show. We've had Anthony Sabatini, um, Joe Kent, and uh, last week we had the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Teddy Daniels. Um, as a America First political consultant, what is some of the stuff you look for um, when, when you're trying to, uh, you know, bring those guys out to the forefront and not just promote them as America First candidates, but tell the, uh, the interested voters why? Well, I'm now going to take off my uh, executive director and founder of Look Ahead America hat and put on my <laughs> consulting hat. Um, I have worked in this field again since I think that the mid 90s when I was a field organizer for Pat Buchanan before I was old enough to vote in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, those guys you mentioned, um, I'm the GC or general consultant for Joe Kent. Okay. Um, I'm a good friend of Sabatini and we're working together on a fundraiser for him in Florida at AmpFest, looking forward to that, nice. um, which will be a joint fundraiser with Joe Kent. And I'm working for quite a few other um, America First candidates across the country. I'm not sure if any of them disclosed publicly that I work for them yet. And that's something that we control the timing of. Um, but without saying more, I am working for quite a few of these candidates. And I historically have done so in the previous election cycles. And of course, in 2016, working for President Trump. Right. Um, I, I guess what your question is, is like, what do I what do I look for in these candidates or what, what's important in them apart from their messaging? Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've learned our lesson extremely the hard way by having so many people. And I don't want to name names of like people who are already in DC. It didn't, if you want to reference some of them, you can, we all know who they are who go off saying, you know, like I'm a, a Trump agenda candidate. I'm an America first candidate. I'm for strong borders. I'm for anti CCP. And then they get there and you realize how deep their pockets are lined with lobbyists or think tank money in addition to being intimidated by some of the major players in there, Speaker of the House and stuff like that, or just want to be on the cool guys team. And, and then you lose them as soon as, you know, the, the campaign's over and they get sworn in. I, I definitely feel like some of the people that we mentioned and, and definitely the two guys that you uh, referenced are, are 
in it for different reasons and, and, and are truly invested in, you know, the America first agenda and, and their constituents. So here's, here's part of the challenge. And this is um, getting into the nitty gritty, in fact, uh, of candidate recruitment and identifying good candidates or, or be, being a good candidate to begin with, because you, you really can't fundamentally fight something with nothing. So in the last election cycle, I spoke to 542 Republican candidates for federal office. Wow. So far this cycle, I've spoken to over, I'm pretty sure it's over 300 now. And it's and that I got started much earlier this cycle than I did last cycle. And there's going to be a big deluge of them, I think, in the next six months or so, because a lot of people are holding off making their announcements to run because of redistricting. And right. they're not sure exactly where the districts are. And that, you know, that's keeping people on the sidelines uh, who are inevitably going to end up jumping in. And I think that um, most of the candidates that I actually speak to, um, I give them free advice. Now, this is really how I make a living as a consultant because I don't really get paid very much by look ahead. And um, so, uh, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm very honest in that most of the people that are running are not um, actually good candidates, they're not viable. In many ways, they are themselves delusional, even though they think, you know, they, they, they may be right on issues, right? But they're just not well suited to run because they don't know the constituency very well. The constituency doesn't know them. And again, this is the message I give most of the people that I talk to because they're just not suitable to run. And the, the reason is that they just wake up one day and they think that, well, I'm going to go run for Congress, you know, because I'm America first candidate. And the problem is that they, they don't respect the constituency enough to have gotten to know it and to earn their respect. And the way you primarily do that, the traditional path or not the traditional path, I should say, but the most viable path to getting elected to Congress is to first run for something local like a, a school board, city council, then potentially move to something like a state legislative race, a state senate race, and then um, graduate to a congressional office. A lot of the folks that we, you know, are, are maybe podcast listeners you have right now, they just decide, hey, I'm going to jump in mm-hmm. without doing that. And, and here's, you know, there are ways to, you know, there's several different pathways. I identified four pedigrees for, for successful candidates. And the most successful is the one I've just articulated to you. The second one is where you're, maybe you're like a, a famous figure or you've done a lot of work you're a leader of a major charity in the state like the head of head of i don't know just for example red cross or something in your state and you're very well known you know the state very well where you're the coach of the state's um uh, championship winning football team and you can transition because everyone knows you you know them You've, you've done a lot of good charitable work throughout the state then there's i think the third path which is um joe kent war hero yeah. people wonder well why why weren't you in this state i mean where have you been for the last 20 years well i've been bleeding you know all over the world you get somebody like dan crenshaw who's left body parts in foreign lands fighting for our country and, and i think that immediately establishes a gravitas and a trust with the constituencies and uh and in the course of being a soldier you probably also learned a lot about what a campaign should look like because i think campaigns in many ways resemble military operations yeah. the good ones do then we get to the fourth can, uh, category, and that's where you've got uh, somebody who maybe they were very successful in business. Maybe they have done some charitable work. Maybe they're a little bit known in the community, but they make up for not having anything in the first three categories by buying it, buying their way in. By, and you know that, that as a consultant to me is very attractive because that means I can get paid. Yeah. That means they have the money. And it also means that they, you know, it's important that a campaign has the ability to spend money. That's money is a tremendous asset. It can get you, it can buy you expertise. It can buy you staff, all the kinds of things that you need. 
Um, and again, if you earn that money yourself, running a business, it's not quite as much like a campaign as being in the military is, but it does give you some insight in terms of what a campaign should run, how it should operate, that kind of thing. And you probably got a good amount of hustle. So if you've got enough money, you can probably buy your way in and be a reasonably good candidate. And a lot of, a lot of folks run for office and successfully come from that background. But a lot of folks run for office and lose, even though they have that background, they, they wind up spending, you know, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars just to get humiliated and then get, you know, Kathleen Wall is the best case down in Texas. Right. She ran like $30 million against Dan Crenshaw's 300000 and she lost to him horribly and then ran, moved to another district and lost again after doing the same thing. Why? Dan Crenshaw, war hero, good candidate, very, you know, I'm not talking, I'm not going to comment on his politics personally, because I know people have different reactions to him and that right. kind of thing, but he was a very good candidate against Kathleen Wall. And then she ran in another district against what? A, 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 the sheriff that everybody knows and loves. <laughs> it, it, she could, there, and you know, here's another good example for you is Anthony Sabatini. Yep. Um, he is a state, state legislator. He's running for Congress. He is beloved there. He's beloved throughout the entire state. Because he has been fighting against, you know, launching these lawsuits against local mass mandates. And, you know, his opponent could have a billion dollars. It, it would not help them because he is so known and beloved to that constituency. So a lot of the people I talk to, though, they're not in any of those four categories. And rather than doing something that would be really effective, like maybe running for a party position with the party of their choice, maybe running for a local office or something, they just say, oh, I'm going to run for Congress. And then they wind up spinning the wheels for you know six to 18 months. Everyone pats them on the back. Everyone wants to hear them speak. They get all kinds of speaking engagements that all goes to their head. Every little Republican women's club wants to you know hear from them. Uh, but then they get to election day and they, either in the primary or in the general, it's just uh, they never stood a chance to begin with. So what it really comes down to is finding good candidates. Sabatini, excellent candidate of the first pedigree that I identified. Joe Kent, excellent candidate of the uh of the the third category that i've identified you look at tom norton challenging peter meyer in uh michigan's third excellent candidate of the first and second category he's a former uh, village president and he's also the leader of the state's conservative union you look at um uh uh mike collins down in georgia 10 who's running as an america first candidate he is uh, i would consider him to be uh, category two and category three He's from a family. His father was a former representative in the area. He's been engaged in politics there his whole life. He's an early supporter of President Trump. And he's also a businessman. So he brings his, and in a local business, a yep. local trucking business. So you look at candidates like that and you, you know, those folks uh, are, they're very strong. And then you've got, you know, America First guy running out in California 16 against the Democrat, David Giglio. He's mm -hmm. a very successful businessman yes, and a formal school teacher, which again, builds connection to the community. Um, and, and, but he is able to, uh, he is a phenomenal fundraiser and he has put a lot of his own money into the race and he's got a really strong connection to all the people, all the party leadership, um, you know, in, in where, cause it kind of, that really matters in California. So when you, it really comes with starting with the right candidate. And if that candidate doesn't have the right pedigree, but they really want to help run for another office, do something much more accessible. Don't waste your time running for Congress. Now, I think your question started off asking me about, oh, these, these folks who end up being rhinos. And they sound good when they first run, but they get to DC and then completely sells out. Um, the only thing that really keeps those people in line, if anything is, is the threat of a primary challenge. Yep. What does that require? Good candidates who can run against them, who are credible threats. So it all comes back to just getting good candidates to begin with. 
Yeah, it's kind of all-encompassing. Listen, the last thing I wanted to touch on you, probably something very important, justice for January 6th. Um, I, I've seen it on your social medias. I, I know that you're uh, working behind the scenes big time for that. Can you let our audience know um, just exactly what's going on with that and, and, and your involvement in it at the moment? Sure. I'm very proud of Look Ahead as America's role in leading in this. And, you know, we're America First Community Organizers. And taking direct action on a great injustice like this is right at the heart of it. You know, if this, these were leftists who were being held in prison without bail, who did not commit any acts of violence, um, you know that the community organizers of the left, like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, mm -hmm. um, uh, the uh, uh, ACLU, all of them would be organizing heavily to these, you know, they would be calling out like uh, political prisoners, the same way they did say, for example, against uh, apartheid South Africa. Right. They would be organizing and in the streets and raising their voices and put and doing uh, civil disobedience and sit-ins and that kind of thing. Well, uh, now the shoe is on the other foot, and I'm glad that Look Ahead America was able to lead. We actually have been leading on this issue since January when mm -hmm. we first sent our letter to the Department of Justice and the FBI demanding that all charges against nonviolent offenders should be dropped because historically. That's how it was handled because as recently as uh, 2000, uh, 2020 and uh, 2019, we had masses um, rush the Capitol for uh, Kavanaugh's hearings to right. interfere with the business of the Senate yeah. to break into offices. We had AOC lead a sit-in of Speaker Pelosi's office meant to interrupt the interrupt the uh, normal course of business in the House of Representatives. And at worst, these people were getting like a $55 or $35 fine and they were processed same day and just released immediately. In fact, we had, uh, I think it was some environmental group um, did uh, blockaded the White House just a few weeks ago. They were all released the same day. Mm. Now we have hundreds of Americans who through naivete may have walked into the Capitol building. Maybe the door was held open by a Capitol police officer, which the Department of Justice has already admitted has happened yep. with no knowledge they were doing anything wrong. And what happens? They're being hunted down by the FBI like terrorists. They have their faces on billboards all over the country seeking information to identify these quote unquote insurrectionists. And there's two things going on here. First of all, there's the great injustice against these individuals. Hundreds of the individuals hunted down by the FBI Who've had, who, as a result of this, have lost their jobs, have gone into bankruptcy, have struggled to find legal representation, uh, who have, have lost their homes, who've had um, FBI agents um, raid their house and point guns at their children. Um, and in, for what? For something like parading? For, for walking into a public building, taking a few pictures and walking out, not interrupting anything, not laying a photo on a cop, a finger on a cop, not breaking anything. And then you've got between 60 and 100 additional individuals who are being held now for eight months in solitary confinement without the opportunity for bail, right. denied medical care, denied access to their attorneys in lockup, who did not commit anything violent, who are not being accused of committing any violence because of their political beliefs, people who were granted bail but being uh, brought back into prison because they had a Lego set or because they listened to a podcast. I mean, this is a little close to home for you guys, right? Yeah, definitely is. And then oh, we yeah. have... And, th and then we have um, what happened to Ashley Babbitt and the yeah. U.S. Capitol Police investigated themselves and found that they didn't do anything wrong. There needs to be real investigation of what happened to her, Weird. along with 14,000 hours of videotapes that the government's suppressing, not giving us evidence to the people they're trying. Uh, this is a tremendous. This is the great civil rights battle of our time. These are political prisoners. 
And like I said, it was about two things. It's, it was the injustice that's happened to them. But remember, these guys are just scapegoats because right. you have to have this great villain in order to perpetuate the big lie that there was ever an insurrection. And because that insurrection, that insurrection narrative is what's driving so many of the draconian totalitarian actions of the U.S. government now. It's what they used to justify purging patriots from the U.S. military. It's what they justify, used to justify teaching CRT in schools as well. We had this great white supremacist insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. It's what they used to target our Second Amendment rights. It's, it's the premise that's driving so much of Biden's domestic agenda. Whereas if these people were treated fairly, in most cases not charged at all or uh, given a fair trial and, and uh, you know, granted bail and given evidence that they need to defend themselves, then it would be much harder to make the accusation that there was an insurrection stick. And if you don't have that, then it's much harder to push this agenda. If you release 14,000 hours of video showing a very obedient crowd, showing police officers opening doors and pulling down barricades for mm -hmm. people to get through, then the, the, the narrative goes away. And that's really what we've been fighting. And here's how we've been fighting it. We sent that letter in early January. We held a rally outside the Department of Justice and the FBI in person. We, we held a rally at the prison and I think nine or 10 simultaneous rallies around the country. And this is gonna culminate in our rally on September 18th. We hope everybody can come September 18th at noon, that's a Saturday at the US Capitol, right where it all started. We'll have some very prominent speakers, but we'll also be presenting evidence that Nancy Pelosi will not be allowed, not allowed to be presented at her, her own hearing, showing a peaceful crowd behind barriers and U.S. Capitol Police throwing flashbang grenades into that peaceful crowd, showing people being led into the building, showing Ashley Babbitt's assassination, and comparing that to, for example, you remember President Trump being on the trail and having a burly strong man charge him visibly? Yep. He wasn't shot. He was tackled by some security agents, and they were taken away. They didn't execute him. Yet we have a 90-pound unarmed woman, uh, seems to be like trying to reach over a door or something, murdered. Yeah, just it. straight up murdered, and uh, no explanation, no investigation. I mean, I mean, it, Derek Chauvin must have been wishing he worked for the Capitol Police instead of the police in Minneapolis. Oof. Those yeah. are two excellent analogies right there, and I appreciate them both. Um, listen, before we cut with you, and this has been amazing. You have covered everything so in depth and I'm trying to find out something that you're not involved in going on in this country and in right? this movement right now, you, you know, thank you for your service and everything that you're doing to kind of, uh, get to the bottom of things, make things right, things right and fortify moving forward for the future that, you know, uh, everything's running in kind of the right direction. But can you let our audience know where they could find you, social media, uh, your websites, places that they can donate anything that you want to direct traffic to, and then we'll link it in our uh, show description. I appreciate it. And, you know, I can only do what I can do because there are platforms that are willing to have me on and, and you guys are one of them. And you're part of this ecosystem that we're trying to grow now to because we're, you know, we got shut out of everything else that MSNBC put my picture up last yesterday, but yeah. they wouldn't dare bring me on to talk about why they had me on. I saw that. Uh, same thing for CN, CNN, MSNBC, uh, uh, all these other news outlets, New York Post, New York, uh, sorry, not New York Post, New York Times, et cetera. Um, so we're very grateful that you guys are are just, you know, you're building your own media empire here and I'm happy to be part of it. We, we really need our volunteers because if you sign up with us, we will put you to work in your state. We have activities underway um, in states from, from coast to coast. We have a very aggressive field program, mostly volunteer driven. So go to lookaheadamerica.org and volunteer there. You can also make a contribution. Um, I, uh, we're a 
no one's here is really getting rich, but the more money I have, the more staff I can pay for, the more we can fund these rallies. The rally that we're doing um, in DC on the 18th is gonna cost us about $27,000. And you know, my salary with Look Ahead is is uh, is sixty thousand. It's you can it's public information because you can see it on our nine ninety, which we'll be releasing, um, I guess, next year. Okay. This is our first real year. We've got you know a national staff, and the more money we have, the more we can pay for these rallies, the more we can organize it in states, the more voters we can register. So, I invite everybody to be become a community organizer with us and through us because we'll we'll welcome you and we'll push you to work. So please visit lookaheadamerica.org and either volunteer, donate, or do both, and we'd welcome that. Yeah, that's great. We'll definitely be directing people that way. And, and like I said, it's been a pleasure speaking with you uh, this afternoon. We'll uh, definitely hope to have you back in the future and, uh, you know, are, are going to be tracking everything that you've got going on here moving forward with updates to our audience as well. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'd be, I, I'm really uh, looking forward to chatting with you guys again. Perfect. Matt Brainerd, thanks for stopping by today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, he was definitely... As advertised, what do you think, Noah? Definitely. Yeah, Matt Brainerd definitely brought the fire today and uh, did not not impress. I was extremely impressed. Yeah. So he, there isn't a thing in the patriot movement that's going on in this country right now that Mr. Matt Brainerd is not involved in, and, and we again thank him for stopping by. Yeah, that was a comprehensive list of shit that he does. I mean, he can almost talk. Well, he probably does more than I do, just... Can't get him to stop giving you useful information and facts and numbers, and he was all over it. So I was I was extremely impressed. I mean, as advertised, plus, plus, plus. Mm. There you go. Um, but let's get into the news now. Trump rally over the weekend. Okay. Coleman, Alabama. A Save America rally for Senator Mo Brooks. The election was rigged and stolen. It was a disgraceful election. We all know it was. Yep. Um, did you guys watch the rally? See portions yep. of it at least? I got some clips. Yeah. I enjoyed it. We definitely have the clips. I, uh, interesting. So Trump led in during the rally and said that he, he was called to put the general patent speech from the patent movie as kind of his intro to him coming out that night and they played it definitely a big, uh, big into how he's feeling right now. What'd you guys think about that? Epic. Yeah, it was amazing. Amazing. The visual likeness of those two people too, <laughs> right? Is almost what weird. Sometimes you, like people made the memes and it's like, did you really have to Photoshop that much? No, you didn't. Exactly. So the only time I mean, put a helmet on him, he's good to go, right? Or or just take an actual picture of Patton and put the China lips on him. What if he What if he starts wearing a helmet to all of his events? Oh, but the, the hair. <laughs> so I, know, right? I mean, he kind of wears a helmet already, but that's just hairspray. <laughs> yeah. So so Trump spoke before a sea of people. Um, mm -hmm. They were over forty five thousand in attendance. I thought Insane. it was pretty amazing. Eighty million votes, right? They said nearly 300,000 people nationwide bought tickets knowing that they couldn't go, wow. but, but still purchased tickets for the event. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the official announcement from, uh, I believe, Liz Harrington. It wasn't an empty Put parking those, lot, you know, full of Jeeps. Right. <laughs> Honking. Um, before the event got started, though, I was watching, I guess you can call it the pregame show on Newsmax, and they had a contributor on there who I have listened to for the entirety of my life. Uh, growing up, 
my dad was a little bit more red pill than I than I realized at the time, and and now that he's gone, appreciate the fact that he kind of planted those seeds in me. But every day, um, when I was younger, if I would ride in the car with my dad in the morning, it would be Imus in the morning, mm-hmm. who was New York's, you know, number one talk show. It was it was basically him or Howard Stern. You were either one kind of a person or another, and my dad liked Imus. A lot of political <laughs> stuff, and you know, Don Imus was a good guy. Uh, did a lot for children, and uh, you know, got the most out of the people that he interviewed. Plus, he was funny. They would do really good skits on that show as well. Um, I never actually got to listen to that one. I didn't know anything about it. I just always listened to Howard Stern. Yeah. So, I mean, if you didn't really live in the tri-state area and and, and weren't really into politics too much, then, then you probably wouldn't have known about him. But uh, if you, if I was riding with my dad in the afternoon, there was only one person that he would listen to, and he was kind of like the gold standard. He became nationally syndicated. He's in the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. And I'm talking about none other than Michael Savage, um, oh, yeah. who who endorsed Donald Trump probably one of the earliest going in. And if you go back and look at the relationship, he pleaded with Donald Trump to be a part of his campaign. And it was right at the time where Michael Savage was kind of getting age-aid, and they were like, they kicked him off of Fox, they blacklisted a lot of his books, which are all New York Times bestsellers. Um, He is a doctor. He's a certified epidemiologist. and But he's been a, a political interviewer for... Antoinette, probably 30, 40 years at least. At least. I didn't know he was an epidemiologist. Yeah, and it's one of the things he talks about on his show all the time, about how he got his uh, his doctorate from Berkeley before it became the Berkeley that we know now. Oh, I totally missed that. I used to listen to him a long time ago, and I remember him growing up as well because I grew up in New York, but that totally kind of flew over my head. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the Savage Nation was definitely part of my uh, red-pilling experience every afternoon that i drive in the car with my dad, and then as an adult, I just continued to listen to it. It was nationally syndicated till about year or two ago when he decided to retire and now in his latter years he does a podcast which is it's 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 monetarily got a lot of stuff to do you know he wants you to donate and you know there's a commercial free version that you could buy and stuff but but I feel like he's got the career resume having been a radio host for so long to kind of do whatever he wants to do in retirement he's definitely not out there as a pay p-a-y tree it um no looking to make a quick buck he's you know, damn near 80 years old and at the end of his thing. But uh, he, he wants to still be involved and, and had Donald Trump on not too long ago and said, you know, if you are going to decide to do whatever you're going to do moving forward, I just want to be a part of it. He's like, there's so many things we talked about that I warned you about that that you just didn't know were coming that wound up coming true. He's like, we see it now. He's like, I, w- I would hope moving forward you'd want to surround yourself with more people who, who kind of see it rather than not, you know, and, and he's probably referencing all the Chris Christie hires that he made um, right. off of winning the presidency in 2016. And Donald Trump sounded really open to it. So, you know, it was one of those things. But I saw on the Newsmax pregame show, Michael Savage was on there talking shit about um, Joe Biden and talking highly <laughs> about Donald Trump. So I figured, you know, at the very least, we'd probably just uh, be able to bring you a little bit of that. The country's in turmoil. Joe's blunder in his premature evacuation from Afghanistan was the final nail in the coffin of this hologram in a basement. Gas over $5 a gallon here in the San Francisco area. Illegals being brought in infected with COVID. National insecurity under bumbling Biden. Uh, crime wave here in, in, the, uh, in the big cities. How much more do we need to understand that this administration should be dismissed immediately? But unfortunately, we do not live in a parliamentary system where there can be new elections. Welcome to the number- 
One of the things that is interesting to note uh, here, Michael, is the the access or lack thereof of the current sitting president of the United States. We can't get to him. And when we do, it is already screened reporters that are being called upon to ask questions. He turns around, he leaves, and we're going through a botched exit where thousands of Americans are still stuck yes. in Afghanistan. We cannot ignore that. We need to show strength. Critics say we're not seeing enough strength from the United States of America, specifically this administration. Your thoughts? You said it all. We all see this. Anyone who's not blind sees this man. As the king has no clothes. He is not there. He's a hologram. And how much longer can they put this on until people say enough is enough? It's a disaster. And it's not only a disaster domestic and abroad, it's a disaster internally in the presidency. So there was that. I mean, that iconic voice of his has not changed over the decades at all. I was just going to say that it's like nothing's changed. No, I could literally close my eyes and, and be in one of my dad's cars growing up, listening to him on the radio, talking about how, you know, borders language and culture and all those, you know, big stipulations that he used to kind of trademark on his show in regards to uh, how successful he got with that. But there you have another pretty prominent figure in the, uh, in the community calling Joe Biden out as not even being real, um, referred to him as a hologram. And that kind of plays <laughs> off of the back of comments that Tucker, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, AJ, uh, just about everybody who's out there, you know, kind of have weighed in on either what he's worth literally or metaphorically um, in regards to his presidency right now. So nothing. Yeah. Less than nothing. Yeah. Definitely pretty interesting though, to say the least. So, the event opened up then, um, and and we've talked about it for the last two weeks. There was a little bit of a, a cloud of gray area surrounding the end of the cyber symposium and what exactly came out of that. And moving forward in regards to, you know, their connections with uh, Trump world, um, all of those questions were laid to rest, though, as the pre-keynote speaker to Donald Trump and the person who opened for him was none other than Mike Lindell. So I thought it was extremely interesting that at his biggest rally yet in, in, in a place and time when there was maybe some questions surrounding Mike Lindell and the validity of the investigations and, and stuff that he's got going on behind the scenes um, being called out by some of the doomers and whatnot um, kind of just got pushed to the wayside because not only was he there in attendance, which he is usually at big Trump events, but he was the speaker who basically brought the president out. So I do have a brief clip of Mike, and uh, let's listen to what he had to say. If, if this would have been happened way back in November and the election taken down, we would have never found out all these horrible, terrible things that happened to our country and the evil behind it. So all of this stuff is getting revealed, and I'm telling you, we're going to get through. This is the greatest time in history to be alive, because I'll tell you what, when we get way out here and they pull this election down and all this stuff, and we get out to a place that's glorious, you're going to look back and you're going to say every single thing that had to happen just the way God intended it. God has had his... So there's that. I mean, he's kind of laying out the... Uh narrative that we're in a place that we belong in right now because that's the way the Lord intended it, as is which with most things. 
but I, I definitely think in this kind of political environment that we're in right now, um, what'd you say, Antoinette? You had something to weigh in on that? Oh, I mean, I agree. I think that what's happening right now is meant to happen. It's happening the way it should. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Um, I definitely think that, uh, some of the stuff that had been, uh, accused or or led into you know over the years of the of the trump campaign and presidency definitely needed to be exposed more and i think the only way uh you know for that to go down was probably for the election to happen the way it did if it i don't think that if he were to win there was there would be no way that all of this stuff would be exposed i mean like if you're looking at it now you know at the time we didn't expect to be here where we're at right now, but now it all makes sense, you know? Yeah. And and I think one of the, one of the interesting things is, you know, people who go out and kind of doom and say like, Oh, look, no one's coming to save you. Oh, look, everybody keeps saying this is the way it was supposed to go down. This is the way God wanted it. Did, does God want people to die? Does, you know, does God want people to get hurt? You know, does God want Donald Trump to be not president? I was like, and I always think in my head, have any of you ever actually picked up a Bible and read it? Why exactly? The Bible, it's like it's one of the, die every day. The, it's people one of the bloodiest. Day. That shit happens yeah. all the fucking time. Like, hello, you know. Yeah, it's one of the bloodiest books in the history of the world, and and it's been edited. Just imagine how worse the actual version, you know, the you know the unedited version of the Bible must have been. Um, People still don't realize that we are at war. I mean, mind you, irregular war. Right. But nobody ever said this shit was going to be easy. Like, I think we have it pretty damn good considering what it could could have been and what it could be still. I mean, we still are a free country, although I mean, our rights are, they're trying to take away our rights and, you know, Me. slowly. But still, I, I mean, a lot of other countries and people are way worse off than we are. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, well, I don't disagree with you there. There are a lot of countries that are worse off than us right now. And, uh, yeah, if, if, if it's you, weird that we're trying to make our country more like those countries, right? Anybody that's tr- that you see out there, um, spreading this doomer narrative about, you know, if people say like, oh, God wins, we already won, you know, this is what God wants. Like, seriously, I mean, I don't read mine every day, but pick up a Bible, flip through, at least some of the Old Testament to where you see some of the real gore. And, uh, yeah, just kind of familiarize yourself on just exactly what uh, biblical times were like and if you think we're cycling back to those um, in this day and age. So Donald Trump took the stage after that impassioned uh, information given out by Mike Lindell and uh, kind of threw him some kudos. So, I mean, Pillow Team 6 confirmed still good. After uh, Donald Trump kind of uh, gave him a little bit of a, a thank you, let's listen to what he had to say. He loves his country so much, he's willing to die for this country. I watched him over the last week at his symposium, which was really amazing. Some of the people he had were incredible, incredible people. Mike Lindell. Mike. Mm. True. I'll tell you true. 
It's true. He had some people up there really — I mean, they were scientists. They were political scientists and beyond, and they were incredible what they said and what they understand. Yeah, so there it is. You know, throwing out the kudos to Mike Lindell. He also gave credit to uh, One America News, uh, Natalie Harp and Christina Bob, one of our show favorites, you know, for all the hard work that they've been doing in regards to the audits down in Arizona. And then, you know, Natalie Harp's always got Garland Favorito on and Matt DiPerno on her show. So just, you know, kind of keeping everything in, of the narrative in, in, in the forefront. Um, giving credit to some of the people finally that he tends to distance himself from, um, you know, and it's just one of those things where at some point they're always around you. You kind of have to acknowledge their existence. So it, it was good to kind of hear that he did get into some policy backed, uh, measures. And by that you know, talking about the situation that's going on in Afghanistan, um, and he definitely laid into the administration pretty hard and brought up someone who, who, Noah wasn't too certain about last week when, when, when I referenced him, his friend Abdul. Abdul. So, but yeah, it was, it was definitely in that portion of the speech where he talked about that. So let's kind of hear how he's looking at it from the outside looking in right now. It did not have to happen that way. This is not a withdrawal. This was a total surrender. This surrender for no reason. They weren't asking. We had them... I dealt with Abdul. He was the leader. I said, Abdul, anything happens, Abdul. we are going to rain terror upon you. Oh. It will be a terrible thing. It'll be sad. Don't touch our American citizens. Don't ever come to our country. Don't ever come to our country. No touching. And you're going to continue fighting your civil war. I can't do that. They've been fighting it for hundreds of years. That's what they do is they fight. And they're good fighters. But I had a good relationship other than that one statement. I said, after I said that, I said, now let's get down to business. And we had a conditions-based agreement. And they didn't meet the first two conditions. And we hit them hard. And then they met them. And then they had a couple of other conditions that they were ready to meet. And then we had a rigged election and we had a new president. And the new president came into office and he dropped to his knees and he said, come on in and take everything that we have. This is a disgraceful thing, the most embarrassing thing that we've ever seen in this country. There's never been an embarrassment. And the nations of the world, both friend and foe, are looking at us and saying, what the hell happened so quickly to the United States of America? They can't believe it. They can't believe it. The equipment that they've got is the most sophisticated military equipment in the world. He surrendered our air base. He surrendered our weapons. He surrendered our embassy. They spent a billion dollars building this ridiculous embassy. And he abandoned our great American citizens. They're over right now. They have no idea. Remember this, the Taliban's tough. Mm. And they don't respect our country, and they don't respect our president. It's not good. They're over there now, and they don't know what's going to happen, our citizens. Joe Biden was going on vacation as <laughs> Afghanistan was going to hell. Boo this man. All right, kids, what do you feel? Talking about his relationship with Abdul, in addition to 
uh, a lot of the happenings that are going on in Afghanistan right now. I think one of the biggest points that we can all take away from this, whenever there's a political pundit and they go out and they make statements, there's always people, at least in the mainstream media, but definitely back on the other side of the aisle who want to go out and kind of say, like, this is bullshit. His narrative's bullshit. He's saying it in retrospect. There has not been one person from the Biden, air quoting now, administration who have come out and said, oh, well, you want to know what? Donald Trump keeps saying there was like this great plan to get out of Afghanistan and it was stipulations based. That's totally and unequivocally false and lies. And he's saying it now, armchair quarterbacking and all this other stuff. You've heard none of that. Not no. from the mainstream media, not from anybody in the administration right now, which makes me believe. Just some pukes on the internet. No, and you've also seen some some leakers and whistleblowers come out and says like, okay, all of these people did pretty much know that there was an established plan. They weren't about it, so they just said, fuck it, we're going to do it a different way, and it turned out to be a disaster. Yeah, let's uh, surrender the uh, tactical position of the airbase first. That's good. That's a solid move. You see that meme that's going around right now? It's like the art of war, and it's like... Oh, the Sun Tzu, yeah. Yeah. Rule rule number one, surrender your most strategic airbase first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty sad. Chocolate chocolate chip. Um, He he did then did tear into General Milley. I know we've all heard it. I didn't want to make it the centerpiece of this whole presentation because there was some other context to, you know, all the stuff that was going on um, during that speech that I think were more important than just the funny part. But uh, he he tied him to General Patton's, the movie's speech in the beginning, to the situation in Afghanistan and to the current woke culture of the U.S. military. I know that audio? Sure do. Nice. I know you've been waiting for it. Let's hear it right now. Act opposite. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Everything woke. <laughs> Everything woke. It's true. Everything woke turns to shit, okay? It's true. It's true. Look at what's happening. You know, I want to point out there that that's one of the first times since his historic campaign speeches that he actually left a talking point out there that received such an ovation that he actually looks over his shoulder and then sees that everybody's going crazy. So he leaves the podium to go yeah, and like I know. <laughs> clap and point at people in the stands yeah. that, are, that are cheering his uh, <laughs> comments directed at General Milley. Well, Biden does that too, but he just gets lost on his way to the podium. Yeah, there's usually someone who like grabs him and kind of turns him back and says, "Yeah, yeah you that want, way. Yeah, you want to go over see the cookies on the podium." Salute the Marines. God, but yeah, that was kind of, you know, the funniest part of the uh, of the rally right there. Um, and he did kind of close it out in in typical fiery Trump fashion. So so we're gonna listen to that, uh, and then we're gonna have a little bit of a discussion on just some of the other things that I didn't play audio for, but I think are are probably just as important going on with that event that happened on Saturday. What was the difference between 2016 and 2020? I said, well, the difference was that in 2020, we did much, much better. The rallies were bigger. The enthusiasm was more because in 2016, I told you what we were going to do, but it was talk. In 2020, you knew that I did it. So we had a much better. 
True story. But we were cheated. And we, it was rigged. We were cheated. But there's never been a movement like this. And you know, it's funny, I say it a lot. And with the fake news, look at all of them back there. The fake news is back there. They never, ever question it. If I say something that's close to wrong, it's headline news. But I say this is the greatest rally in the history of our country. This is the greatest movement in the history of our country. There's never been anything like it. And it's probably the greatest movement in the history of our world. It's probably this movement. Call it Make America Great Again. Call it America First. Call it what you will. I believe it's the greatest movement probably in the history of the world. True story. And it's just starting. Probably. It's just starting. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. Mm. So with love of our nation, Swelling in our hearts, and it does swell in your hearts. That's why you're standing here in the rain listening to this person. You're saying, darling, it's raining. Let's go home. But nobody is leaving all the way back. Hundreds and like football fields behind. Football fields. Darling, it's raining. But they say, we're not going home because we love our country. But it's swelling in our hearts, the spirit of America is stirring our souls. And I say these words to you, and you've heard these words before, in some cases, many times before. Bing, bing, boom. We will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America, despite what you're seeing today, so sad and so pathetic, we will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And you know what it is. We will make America great again. Thank you, Alabama. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, that they did get to change the outro music. Well, no, they were in Alabama, oh. so they they played "Sweet Home Alabama" while he went out there and and drew air yeah. cues to everybody afterwards, and then segued right to YMCA. Nice. He still got a little bit of the bing bang, right. bing bang boom. <clears throat> right, but that that was kind of you know the 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 meat portion of the of the rally that happened over the weekend. However, there was a potatoes portion that we kind of need to break down and and have a discussion about. Man, I would fuck up some potatoes right now. Same. I'm hungry. Yeah. Focus. <laughs> so at some point during the rally, towards the middle, you know, Trump acknowledges all the people that made this happen, people that are traveling with him, um, and, and brought up, believe it or not, the person who the rally was for is for Congressman Mo Brooks. And Congressman Brooks was promptly booed because he went into a – a monologue that said, you know, th this this rally is amazing, but, you know, it, it's time to start focusing on 2022. It's time to stop focus, start focusing on 2024. It's time to stop focusing on 2020. And that's when, Antoinette, I know you've seen it. They Ooh. just, no, literally. And he's like, all right, well, maybe we need to 
still look at 2020, but at the same time, we need to start looking forward. And they start booing louder. Got him. Yeah. And, and the, that back so quick. He got nervous. He really yeah, did. Like, and and yeah, I did not expect this. It sucks because he's one of the first people to, uh, you know, endorse Trump back in, in 2016, but, or 2015. But the, at the end of the day, you know, you can't go around spitting that shit to the base when they're standing right in front of you go on some news show and say it so in like three or four days when some other random shit happens they forget about it but when you're literally looking face to face at fifty thousand trump supporters who are been standing in the rain all day and are excited to hear papa talk um don't be doing that then you start pissing in the cereal what was almost equally as unfortunate was when donald trump kind of took the reins back from mo brooks he went right into the whole covid narrative and started talking about the jab again to which i was actually surprised how about new it was the first time that i've ever seen him booed by his own base uh i don't think they booed him i think they booed the vaccine there there was booze there there, no yeah obviously antoinette they booed there were booze (laughs) But I think that they were booing what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, Not him necessarily. And the thing Um, is, you know, he talked about medical freedom. He talked about it's your choice. But then, you know, does like pats himself on the arm, says, I got something, something in there. But you don't know what the whole ideal is behind that narrative. Um, I think it was a good thing that they did because it just shows that we're not some sort of cult that just you know. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm thinking Liz Harrington was standing there with the clipboard. It's like ever talking about the vaccine again. Nope. And hopefully she crossed it off (laughs) Um, because, you know, and it's hard. We've talked about it. We know what Operation Warp Speed was. We know where we would be if it did not exist, which would still be in lockdown, Um, you know, and all this other bullshit. Our kids would still be home. They would literally be deciding which human beings in the United States of America are essential and who aren't like another living person that lives in this country with our constitution, our government would still be telling us who's essential and who isn't. I was way too essential. I could have been less essential. Yeah. Working at Walmart was killer during this whole thing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been tough. So essential, but you know, and, and what the whole narrative is with the, uh, with the vaccine, I just want to tell and have everybody remember Go back to the 80s. Go back to the 90s. Go back to the 2015 presidential debates when him and Ben Carson got into it. Donald Trump has been an anti-Big Pharma and anti-vaxxer from the get-go. That is on documented record. You can go look up clip after clip, probably hundreds of hours over the years. Um, Anti-vaxxer? Yeah, he he says kids get too much of it. The doses they get are too big. And he was one of the first truthers that ever said, I'm going to hitch my wagon to... The amount of vaccines they give children when when they're little is directly correlated to autism. And even yeah. though there are scientific evidence that prove both there may be some insight into that and not, Donald Trump told Ben Carson to his face kids get autism because of getting too much vaccines at one of the presidential debates in 2015. So, I mean... Right, like always. Yeah, and, and and he's always tied Big Pharma to inventing shit. I mean, he said it so many times, you know, you used to come out with a vaccine, let's say for anything, the shit was good for life. And then you would come out with a vaccine and it was good for 10, 20 years. And now it's like you need a booster every six months. He's like, oh, this is money. They're just, they're making shit and then they're making more shit to put in you just to be able to sell more shit. And that's basically what the whole... 
concept of, of big pharma and these vaccines aren't. Well, it's now. like car companies building shit that just deteriorates after 10 years and you have to fucking buy something new. Yeah, or, or like when they buy, when, when they make like crossover cars now and they're literally like car frames with like a pseudo SUV body on top of it. Yeah. And they last like half the time of a truck because that right. body is not supposed to be on top of that frame. So, you know, that's just where it's at. I, I can feel his frustration because of Operation Warp Speed. I wish he would just, you know, get on the mic sometime and just be like, listen, you fucks. You'd still be locked up. You'd be doing nothing if I didn't fight all these guys and push them to do whatever they did. And at the same yeah. time, a lot of people that kind of came at us on social media over the weekend need to understand. In the beginning, when the vaccines were first made available, regardless of how you feel on them. And again, I'll reiterate for everybody who's on this show. Me? Not getting it. Noah? Negative. Antoinette? Nope. In regards to this vaccine, not happening. Okay? That's first of all. Secondly, there is a large, overwhelming, in the millions and millions of population who receive this vaccine who are old and have comorbidities in the beginning of this when it was released that got it. And you just can't have Donald Trump go up there because not getting the jab is part of the Great Awakening narrative and say... For all of the millions and millions of seniors and people that have pre-existing conditions that receive the vaccine in the beginning, I am 100% against it. You disenfranchised a enormous portion of his base. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's not that simple and people don't realize that. I mean, most of us, you know, people like us that are aware, I mean, we know not to get it, but there's that other portion of people that, they believe in vaccines. They've been waiting for this vaccine, yep. you know, yeah. and alienate that many people. The, right. the comorbidities of people like is a huge part. And it's like, that's right. one of the main reasons why they're having such an adverse effect yeah. to COVID. 78% of the people that die from COVID yeah. are morbidly obese. Yep. The average comorbidity is three plus. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, that's that's like saying you have congestive heart failure, diabetes, and you weigh 600 pounds. You know, the odds are not in your favor anyway. And then you're going to, you know, open yourself up to uh, getting a jab or, or catching the actual virus. Whether it's just the flu or not, you know, if you have all that shit going on already and you get sick with a re- respiratory illness and you got either a bad heart or high blood pressure, diabetes, whatever. Yeah. It's not going to be a jog in the park back to uh, optimum health. Yeah, and then people that are basically healthy, like I consider myself fairly healthy, yep. the risk to reward is just not there. It's nope. like, okay, so the risk of all this shit happening, you know, I could have fucking blood clots, I could keel over dead, could have seizures. Enlarged uh, heart. What? Enlarged heart. Enlarged heart. What's the uh, bear's, what is that one? Bell's palsy. Bell's, Bell's palsy, and then there's the other one where you're like, are. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, it, like, oh, or I could have a ninety nine point nine nine or nine seven percent chance of just being fine. Like after after getting a really bad cold. Like I fucking had coronavirus. Like if you would have told me that, if I didn't yeah. know that there was a goddamn quote unquote pandemic going on, I'd have been like, man, the flu was fucked up. It knocked me on my ass for True two story. days straight. Besides yeah. that, I would have been like, yeah, I'm fucking good now. And listen, I can only speak on behalf of the three of us because we talk all the time. None of us are covering up for Donald Trump. 
He went on Maria Bartiromo a couple weeks ago and said some fucking stupid shit in regards to the vaccine. And I could I could feel his frustration sometimes when he's trying to put his words together. And I know that all this vaccine shit is unscripted because he never reads it the way you would expect someone who can break it down just as easily as Noah, Antoinette, and myself do on this show can do just by knowing the facts. But he just goes off the record and starts to talk about this, that, and the other thing. Like, he got ivermectin and Regeneron. Those are the shots that he got. He did not receive a coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, he doesn't specify that, right? And every single, uh, whatchamacallit, famous person on the planet who got it went on fucking TV and rolled up their... There's no video of him doing it. And I'll never believe that he actually got it until I see video of him getting it. And he's going to be like, put it in my arm. (laughs) (laughs) But, But he did get the other therapeutic treatments, and he was on hydroxychloroquine prior to that. So, you know... Like I said, we're not covering for him, but you have to understand the entirety of the situation, whether it's his narrative that he's had for decades, what Operation Warp Speed was and is. What it was intended to do. And an enormous portion of his base, which are boomers and elderly with pre-existing conditions. And you, you can't just, it's like, you know, disenfranchise them just because the narrative of the Great Awakening is the jab is going to kill you. It's a kill switch, it's poison, it's, you know, this, that, or the other thing. He's never going to say that. He's got people in proxy to him that go out and do an excellent job. Everyone from Robert Kennedy Jr. and Dr. Tinpenny that are going on with Clay Clark and the Great Awakening stuff. Michael Flynn's been a huge anti-vaxxer, and they talk almost daily. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just one of those things. That's not Donald Trump's job. Donald you Trump, yeah, say, he is the figure piece, the, the spokesperson for us in this movement. And that's all he is. He's not God. He's definitely not <laughs> Satan. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where you have to take into consideration, like, you want to hear him hit certain highs and lows. But you cringe when he hits the lows because he has to hit them sometime. And yeah. uh, we should all know after I followed him my entire life. People that are new to this, maybe five, six, seven years. He's an extremely flawed man. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, he says things that are a little bit off the cuff and probably not appropriate to say in normal, adult, mainstream political settings, but he goes and says them. But whose handlers do you think are more stressed out, his or Biden's? Definitely not his, (laughs) for sure. But, but yeah, it's definitely something that we we needed to touch on. Um, You know who did go out and Joe Dushborough? Made fun of him for the whole Vax segment. Douchebro. Yeah, of his speech. I did pull a, a brief clip of it because I can't stomach listening to either one of those idiots, him and Mika. Uh, but, yeah, let's hear you know him do a Donald Trump impersonation talking about the jab. That Trump, I mean, the more you hear the Trump. It's so, it's like, um... You the vaccine! Yeah. It's good, I took it! And then he hears booze, he goes, oh, freedom, freedom. Okay, all right, well, whatever. It's just, it's Frankenstein. It's just... Uh, I mean, you mean he created a he monster. He created a monster, and, and, and now he can't even control it. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> take the vaccine! Oh, all right, freedom, freedom. Okay, never Listen, mind. more on Florida, Orlando. So, yeah, I mean, there was them kind of making the point that that we were talking about, he didn't expect probably the reaction from the crowd. They may or may not have misinterpreted the point he was trying to get across. Uh, but at the same time, he did kind of say, you know, well, it's your choice. It's a freedom, which it is. Yeah. For a lot yeah. of people at the most part. It doesn't feel like it's going to be for long. No, no, definitely not. But uh, 
we'll, we'll continue to um, hold that line there. Um, it's pretty interesting. 46% effective right now and needing a booster shot and FDA approved dish. It's up to 46 now? Yeah. I thought it was in the 30s still. No, you know, it's not. Isn't the yeah, efficacy rate for an emergency use authorization like 50% though? Kind of. Ballpark? Yep. So. When they're using bullshit data. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, it's like those poll numbers. Like if, if they're admitting that the polls are a certain amount, then they're probably just like astronomically skewed the other way. Totally. Uh, that's an extremely good point. I do want to switch gears right now from Trumpapalooza that happened over the weekend and, and roll it right into the situation that's going on in Afghanistan right now. Um, it, it's still a disaster, probably worse than it was last time we aired. Um, you know, there are some new threats and, and, and stuff that's going on um, in regards to getting those people, especially the U.S. citizens who are trapped there and essentially abandoned. Um, you know, the Taliban kind of drawn a hard red line in the sand in regards to the August 31st uh, pullout deadline, which if you look at it on paper and undetermined anywhere between 15 and 45,000 U.S. citizens in addition to all the Afghanis and their families that need to get out of there. Um, what do you guys think uh, in regards to that whole situation right now and some of the things we saw over the weekend regarding it? Well, you could say that Biden's pullout game is weak. Essentially, <laughs> very weak. I mean, it's crazy because you get conflicting reports, you know? You see some videos of, like, all mayhem and craziness going on, and then you've got other people saying, no, it's not, you know, it's not what they're showing on the media. And then you've got other people, you know, that are saying, oh, but it's this, the, these Taliban people, these members aren't the bad Taliban. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of hard. Oh, the to, good Taliban, right? Yeah, like, yeah. what do you mean, good Taliban? Yeah, <laughs> the Tally Bros. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with calling them Tally Bros. <laughs> so, I know. Hey, I don't know if you guys have noticed it. I've seen it because I'm a watcher and I always watch things multiple times before I kind of make a determination on them. There is one guy in the Taliban. He's in every file footage. He's like young. He's got on some like they're almost pit vipers, and he just wears like a little red hat on the top of his head. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's he's a, he's essentially a kid. He holds his M4 backwards and by the barrel um, over his shoulder. And, yeah, and kind of just uh, he's in every single file footage that they show on the news right now. Well, you now. hold it like that so you get maximum flaggage. I don't know if he's get like everybody. the hot new face of the Tally Bros. Or, I'm going to throw him up in our social media so you guys can see what I'm talking about. When you see it, you're going to laugh because he's been in every single Taliban picture, you know, since – this happened almost two weeks ago. Sheep Monthly. Um, yeah. The Cali campaign. Goat Bros. <laughs> Illustrated. <laughs> Better homes and goats. Yeah. <laughs> Better homes and caves. Better homes and bunkers. Is this really what we're doing right now? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where we have to look at... Uh, Do you just, think his name is Abdul? Abdul. <laughs> so... That, that are coming out right now in regards to the uh, the pullout deadline. And the Taliban have said extensively and through a press conference yesterday where they, they hosted some of the uh, media sites from around the world that they will not extend an August 31st deadline for the U.S. withdrawal yeah. from Afghanistan. The optics are that they're calling the shots right now and the current occupying administration has nothing to do other than comply because they have 
taking control of the country and on the international level have been acknowledged by many countries as the rightful governorship of Afghanistan right now. Do you think that all the photos of the Taliban eating ice cream is a direct attack at Joe Biden's chocolate chocolate chip? Chocolate chip, yes. Good yeah. question. I mean, they keep tagging themselves in these <laughs> pictures of them eating ice cream. I, I definitely think it's, it's hilarious. Some form of a tribute. To... I wasn't sure if that was real or not. I saw it last night for the first time. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, we've made the accusation on this show for since the election, or at least January 20th about who's really pulling the strings in the administration right now. Because when you just look at it on paper, you see some of these completely unsuited people in these highest-level positions, and their entire staff is a whole bunch of fucking millennials. And these are the people that are literally dictating domestic and foreign policy right now in the country. Rick Grinnell took to Twitter over the last 48 hours and had some comments to say in regards to the situation that's going on in Afghanistan. Um, he talked about Jake Sullivan. We all know who he is and, and that how he was the person who have been determined to have sent those classified emails to Hillary Clinton during the, the email scandal. Oops. Yeah. He's, he's now one of the, the highest ranking, uh, administration officials. So in addition to that, Susan Rice's deputies, when she was the, uh, NSA director, Anthony Blinken and Avril Haines are now the Secretary of State and head of the NSA. So we all know that Joe Biden doesn't even know where the fuck he is right now. It's pretty safe to say that Susan Rice, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, Eric Holder, Barack Obama, maybe Brennan, are all calling a lot of the shots that are going on in D.C. right now because some of their highest-ranking staffers are now in the highest-level positions in the federal government. So, you know, that's just a little bit of a reminder where these people were and, uh, you know, where they came from. Anthony Blinken was asked about the policy that's being dictated out of Kabul right now. And he basically had to admit that they're at the mercy of the tally bros. Um, Awkward. Yeah, on, on Jake Tapper's show. So let's hear that. In our audience might listen to you, Mr. Secretary, and say, oh, so we have to ask the Taliban for permission for American citizens to leave. True or not true? They, they are in control of Kabul. That is the reality. Uh, that's the reality uh, that, uh, that we have to deal with. How comfortable are you with mission- that, Mr. Secretary? Um, my, what I'm, what I'm uh, focused on, uh, what we're all focused on, is getting people out and making sure that we're doing everything possible to do that. And in this case, uh, it uh, is... I think a requirement of the job uh, to be in contact with uh, with the Taliban, which controls Kabul. There you go. I mean, what a complete bitch! His <laughs> face is so punchable; it's not even funny. And when you listen to the tone of his voice and just exactly what he's talking about, how and why, it's embarrassing. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, well, um, you know, when 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 you're coordinating something as big as this pullout, you definitely want to like. Make sure you get spanked as hard as possible. Be, be in communication with, with the Tally Bros. Oh. They should have asked him, Tally Bros confirmed? Hmm? Ooh. And just sat there till he answered it. He'd just be like, no thank you. <laughs> Where's my chalky chalky chip? And if that isn't enough, um, 
you have to look into who's exactly behind the premature evacuation, as Michael Savage put it <laughs> earlier in the show. Yeah. Rush Travers, who was fired by Donald Trump, is now the top Biden Afghan evacuation role person. Um, as questions continue to circulate from the Afghani withdrawal, and I'm reading from Breitbart now, some are questioning the responsibility of Russell Travers, who was fired by Donald Trump as the acting head of the National Counterterrorism Center and was subsequently hired by, air quoting, President Joe Biden to lead the interagency process on the evacuation operation. And really picking up the scraps, this guy. Yeah, pretty much anyone who has done damage to our country, either via the Obama administration as a career lobbyist um, or a radical pundit or was fired by Donald Trump for being incompetent is now back at the controls. So this is uh, something that came down from uh, Rick Grinnell. He fired him on behalf of Donald Trump back in March of 2020, and he was hired shortly thereafter the fake inauguration in January of this year. Mm. So those are kind of the people that are, uh, you know, at the controls right now. Someone who's always in control of circling back. Had some interesting uh, insight to give on whether or not they thought the uh, anywhere between 15 and 45,000 Americans and all of their Afghan counterparts currently within the country are hostages. So let's hear what he, she had to say with some of her. Not even just hostages. She was just, they were doing semantics on whether or not people are fucking stranded there. Both compassionate and mindful insight from her. Compelling and rich. Mm. The president have a sense that most of the criticism is not of leaving Afghanistan. It's the way that he has ordered it to happen by pulling the troops before getting these Americans who are now stranded. Does he have a sense of that? First of all, I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. We are committed to bringing Americans who want to come home home. We are in touch with them via phone, via text, via email, via any way that we can possibly reach Americans to get them home if they want to return home. There are no getting Americans stranded is the White House's official position on what's happening in Afghanistan. Right I'm just calling you out for saying that we are stranding Americans in Afghanistan when I said when we have been very clear that we are not leaving Americans who want to return home. We are going to bring them home, and I think that's important for the American public to hear and understand. God, I, she, she gives off such a Hillary Clinton vibe yeah, totally. template doesn't she thinking that myself her condescending talk and tone is just absolutely disgusting oh she's horrendous it's like the, the people are anymore. fucking stranded there like you can't just be like well they're not going to be stranded there forever it's like they they'll probably get they'll probably get executed well. soon like fuck off god i hate her yeah she 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 is the worst um you really did a good person she's doing good at her acting job yeah, you, you, hate her. you know who's not doing good at his acting job via the poll numbers no. is resident Biden with an A.N. Uh, he mm. fielded questions for the first time uh, two days ago regarding the incident after he had walked away from the podium several times, whether it was talking about the situation in Afghanistan or stuff to do with the uh, coronavirus from China. Man, he was walking away real quick on some of those. Yeah. Leave now is what the prompter said. Big red letters. Uh, yep. And, uh, you know, he didn't really like it when somebody in the news 
challenged him on on his deflating poll numbers, which are inflated in the first place. Oh, it was the black-eyed clone. Yeah, he was not happy. Ed, fire away. Yes, Mr. President, actually following up on Andrew's question, because the United States is now negotiating with the Taliban over airport access and such, do you now trust them? And then a question on the public response. A new poll out today shows Americans wanted to withdraw from Afghanistan, but they disapprove of the way you've handled it. Poll also found that based in part on what's transpired in the last week, a majority of Americans, and forgive me, I'm just the messenger, no longer consider you to be competent, focused, or effective in the job. I haven't seen that poll. It's out there. Um, from CBS this morning. It's out there. <laughs> so, yeah, there was that. Um, definitely pretty embarrassing moment. He he got I'm caught. Just the messenger. Yeah, he got caught laughing at it. And, <laughs> and when he kind of... I haven't seen that poll. ...retorted the, the press pool, they said, well, they're out there, and, and we'll make sure you get them. We'll, we'll send you those numbers. They're from CBS, not Fox News. It's a thing. So, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Um, pretty embarrassing all around from the start of this to now. It, it's just something that you can't really wrap your brain around. You know who tried to last night, though? was one of our favorite paid ops, oh. Tucky. He hosted uh, Jason Whitlock, who kind of speaks from the word. Oh, yeah, that was great. On his show, and uh, basically tied this all into Satanism. Noah, feelings? Me. Yeah. Kind of interesting to uh, get this out to you if you haven't heard it yet. I definitely think it's some uh, good insight onto what exactly is going on and why. Um, not just from like a beltway standpoint, but more of a spiritual one. Let's hear that portion of the interview with Jason Whitlock last night, how he talks about how deep-rooted the uh, cabal is in this entire movement that we're seeing right now bef- unfold before our eyes. Ending on right now, if you remove Trump and force them to actually defend their positions and the things that they're doing in this country, they can't do it. And so Friday night, Bill's having a conversation about Afghanistan, and the lady from uh, the L.A. Times, all she could say was, oh, it would be worse if Trump were in office. And Bill was like, There's how? Your how? I mean, th- that's not an answer. And it's ridiculous right. that their entire platform is, oh, it could be worse if Trump were in office. They got to come better than that. It's a fraud. I, I, to some degree, I kind of wish like Trump would step aside so that everyone can see the fraudulence and so that Bill Maher and other smart people, honest people, could start attacking the positions that are undermining and destroying this country. What do you think? I've always wondered this. Like, what is the actual support for the ideas? Not, you know, do you like Trump or Biden? But, for example, do you think men can get pregnant or do you think? Some races are morally superior to other races. Like the core idea is the Democratic Party. How many Americans actually believe that stuff, would you guess? I don't think 5% of America believes it, maybe. 10%, I I don't know. Tucker, I'm going to say something that's difficult to unpack in this short amount of time, but it's what I truly believe. I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. I'm just sorry. It's, it's in direct yeah. wow. objection That's to God and d- yeah. in direct objection to the Judeo-Christian values that were at the foundation of this country. And those Christian values are why we made so much 
progress in terms of freedom and humanity and the way we treat everybody. Yes, it was hard, but our Christian values compelled us to sacrifice our lives for the freedoms of other Americans, of slaves. And, and through the civil rights movement, our Christian values compelled us to take risks and fight for equality and the equality of opportunity for everybody. I, I just, I see a lot of what's going on here is. And, and he would continue to go on down the, the path of the same narrative, but it's definitely some good insight. Very well said. I totally agree with Jason. That was great. I really enjoyed that segment. Yeah, and just to, to have Tucker not only nod, but but kind of right. give him, you know, he's like, yes. You know, when he talks about that stuff, it's, what else could you call it? I mean. Nothing. I mean, pretty much what it is, in my opinion. Yeah, you, you have people that would literally be institutionalized a couple decades ago for mutilating their bodies or yeah. acting a certain way be, and, and Going on social media, I guess the representation at the time would be out in public and acting that way. Now yeah. we're not only given like a platform, but they run some of our fucking highest level federal agencies. You look at the assistant health and human services director and that thing that they got going on there. Healthy? Sure ain't. So Human? Uh, no. <laughs> director? Maybe. Service? Oh, God. It's, it's, it's embarrassing and disgusting. And... Anyone who doesn't think the world looks at that stuff and laughs at us is in the extreme minority. Well, it was like the low point of that just heinous video the White House put out with the freaking oh the game dude, the dude with like the giant nails. Like, Jeez. comment if you want to see me see me do more of these videos. Shut the fuck up. Did have you seen the meme? It's the, it's the picture of that guy standing in front of the the White House official oh, the, pictures. Yeah, of, and they're like. I believe it's at this point where the Taliban just said, fuck it, we're going to go for it. Yeah, we'll so, do it live. Yeah, when, when, when they saw that cringeworthy, I don't even want to call him a human being. It was just... Unnecessary. Like, even if you're, like, on board with all that, not that there's, a, not that there's anything wrong with that, but... <laughs> hey, listen. It, just, it was just embarrassing. The former NSA director was gay. Everybody knows it. Yeah. He puts it out there. Yeah. Did he have to go around making videos like that and being an embarrassment or while he was hired as the NSA, which is one of the highest level director jobs in the United States government, did he just go and do his fucking job? He just went and did his job because he doesn't care. Yeah. Sexual preference is not your identity. It's your sexual preference. It's not your gimmick. Right. It shouldn't be anything other than your sexual preference. I don't care what you are or who you are or how you identify. Keep it to your fucking self. I don't walk around and saying like, I have a wife. I'm heterosexual. Like, Hey, did you know I was heterosexual? Hey, I'm heterosexual. Oh, heterosexual. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I believe it. We made kids. How cool is that? We have kids because I'm heterosexual. It's not normal. It never has been and it never will be. So it's fine to be tolerant of everybody's preferences or feelings, but at the same time, to get it shoved down your throat on a regular basis and in contexts like that to where our enemies can see it and use it against us. Um, because if it's out there, it memes. It, it is the narrative of the media. Yeah. And definitely the vernacular of our uh, enemies and allies abroad. So you could see that in things related all the way back to, um, you know, countries like the UK, France, Spain, and Italy, all asking other countries like Russia, hey, can you you kind of have a relationship with the Tally Bros? Can you help us get our people out? And just completely cutting us off to the fact that none of the world leaders talked to Biden about this. 
and everything else regarding the situation is just an embarrassment. How long till Biden starts doing mean tweets just to try to, like, you know, change up his image? Well, at least there are none of those, because as long as there aren't, we should be fine. Right. Because that, that was the only reason why we're in this situation right now is because someone mean tweeted from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for four years. That's the only reason that everything's like this, period. Mm. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, As if the news couldn't get any better. Dismal. The FDA yesterday announced that they were Fuck approving them. the Pfizer jab. Mm. And, and we're going to uh, regulate it as such, or did it? Or did it? Let's just give a little background on the jab. That one specifically. The FDA says that its success rate of 80% or higher is at 47%, if that makes reference. Any more able to wrap around your brain, just go back to Anchorman <laughs> with, the, with the Sex Panther stuff. I mean, that's kind of, uh. it's that version of the jab. It's the Sex Panther version of the jab. <laughs> Um, we're already at a time to where the FDA is looking to approve a booster for it. Eight months since it's been inceptioned. How how long is the booster good for? Who knows? But everybody's Vax card that I've seen has enough space for two jabs and two boosters. What if it's laminated? (laughs) You're fucked. Um, A lot of follow up tattoo appointments for these fucking people that got their. Oh my God. and, And everybody also needs to take into account. Just as early as October, we've played montages of it. Every establishment politician across the board, both sides of the aisle going out and saying, I don't trust it because it's rushed. I don't trust it because it's Trump. And I won't take it because of those aforementioned reasons. We have to make sure that there's none of Trump's fingerprints on it. Right. And (laughs) and we're at a point right now to where it's, they're literally trying to mandate it to every man, woman, and child over the age of 12 in the United States. So definitely funny how with the drop of a hat, the narrative just changes because now the money benefits the people who are currently air quoting again in power. Tell me funny, funny how (laughs) Antoinette, you did some, a little bit of deep diving into this yesterday. You have some information for us. Now, listen, we all know it's still new. We don't have the opportunity because of when our shows broadcast to use the 24-hour rule. But what we do is we promote a certain narrative and give insight on it based off of the news. And then we all know what we encourage you guys to do. Go do your own research. Just off of some of the stuff you were able to check out yesterday, whether or not it's verified or not, what could you kind of pull out and give to the audience right now just in regards to that mandate and the uh, FDA approval? Pullout's a little sooner after Afghanistan. Mm. Well, for one, it's it's super confusing because it, it seems like contradictory. There, okay. There's two different, like distinct um, vaccines, Pfizer and BioNTech. Like they're identical, but based on the two FDA letters and the press release, um, it's hard to say. So the FDA quietly admitted that the licensed Pfizer vaccine and the authorized Pfizer vaccine are identical. Okay. Uh, but they're legally distinct. That's code for one has manufacturer liability while the Mm. other one doesn't it's also code for we don't want to impose a mandate on the eua product because it's illegal but we can probably get away with the mandate on the licensed product and i think that one is called cominardi excuse my pronunciation what about illuminati what oh you're nasty (laughs) (laughs) yeah illuminati all through your body send it Um, to the illuminati (laughs) (laughs) 
But like, if you go to pet, uh, 12 AA, it tells you that, yes, we licensed the vaccine, but there is a lot of the old vaccines out there. So hmm. actually a significant amount of the old one. I got to burn through that first. Yep. Right. Yeah. And this amount will be considered on EUA and will continue to be used. So they extended the EUA to 12 and 15 year olds and then 16 and up apparently is approved for both. Okay. EUA and the one that is that well, the loophole where you can mandate it. Right. And that's then, that second yeah, company you mentioned earlier is just a sublet of Pfizer. It's different like uh, research division of them. Shell Corporation. Right. But the two vaccines shots are the exact same. They're interchangeable. That's interesting. So it's, it's strange. And then you've got Dr. Malone. Um, he was on the war room this morning. Oh, well, you mentioned it first. So now we're going to have to stop you right there and take our weekly poll. Mm. Is Steve Bannon Q me? No, Noah? Nope. Antoinette? Nah. Carry on. So he even, um, I posted it on my Instagram, but I'll post it in the Telegram too. Perfect. For people to read. He um, released, a, so it says FDA Pfizer authorization, Comunardi, uh, key points to consider and discuss. And then he says right here, does not give full approval. It extends EUA to allow supply of current Pfizer under EUA because limited supply of the BioNTech version. Um, and then he's got a bunch of points and he talks about the letter to BioNTech um, and the market authorizes the BLA approval, talks about the press release, the risks, how the data is all, it's outdated. They're going on outdated data. Um, that doesn't sound like them at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> But there's a ton, there's a ton of information, so we'll post that on our Telegram if people are interested in looking at it. And I highly suggest uh, listening to the clip of him on Bannon too. Yeah, it was. Uh, he held him over for two segments, and it was actually pretty awesome. And that's the guy that created the. Yeah, he uh, created the mRNA technology. Right, not yeah. the actual vaccine, but oh, yeah, some yeah. of the tech that's in it. So yeah, that's 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 pretty good. Definitely look into that a little bit more. Um, Oh, they admitted about the myocardial or like pericarditis yep. issues mm -hmm. as well. Well, those are some of the red flags that you definitely have to start adding to the those blank yeah. inserts now um, yeah, exactly. that it is through the FDA. So I, I think it's funny that they're kind of going like uh, emergency authorization act and, and federally um, approved kind of together because uh poll so they yep. can somehow mandate this on people because crazy so the the actual mrna quote-unquote vaccination basically it just it leaves open some sort of genetic coding that can be modified correct to some extent right so more or less who's to say yeah. that the fact that uh, all these people have this would they i mean i'm gonna have to talk to some fucking doctor hopefully next week about this but mm. would that open us up to being Oh. much more susceptible to be hit by an actual bioweapon that's been programmed to react to these certain things. Are we dabbling in transhumanism right now? I don't know. Are we? I don't know. Are we? Well, they say that it's, well, yeah. I mean, it, there are theories and there's information out there that says that, you know, taking this vaccine or shot, because I don't think it's really technically a vaccine to therapy. Yeah, I don't right. think it falls under that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of wipes out like your natural antibodies in general. It doesn't really give you any COVID antibodies. It nope. makes you like, if you're hit with the wild virus, I think you're 
forgot the percentage, but even if you take the flu vaccine, you're 36% or more susceptible to getting COVID. I'm not quite sure what the number is. Yeah, let's make sure at the end of the day, we at least, if Antoinette doesn't have it, remind me to get that Dr. Malone feed into our, at least Telegram. Yeah. So people can go and reference it. Um, Well, you guys both mentioned mandates. Uh, Basements yesterday on the heels of this announcement came out to do a mini presser. Mm. And uh, I'm sure it was pressing. Talked about just that. Let's hear what uh, Grouchy McSquints had to say about (laughs) incoming mandates. Very, very, very low. I know that parents are concerned about COVID-19 cases among their children. No, they aren't. I'll be addressing this soon with Secretary uh, Cordona to discuss how we get our kids back to school safely. Cases among children are still rare. Yeah, get on the bus. And severe cases among children are very, very rare. But I know that parents are thinking about their own kids. It's not as reassuring as anyone would like it to be. So let me say this as parents, to the parents. As you have, you have the tools. You have the tools to keep your child safer. And two of those tools, above all, are available to you. One, make sure that everyone around your child who can be vaccinated is vaccinated. Uh. Parents, adults, teens. Two, make sure your child is masked when they leave home. That's how we can best keep our kids safe. Mm-hmm. As I've said before, the pandemic of the unvaccinated is a... Oh, God. Fuck your pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, don't worry. If you, if you thought he was going to end there, he did continue and brought up one of your favorite tidbits. Masks. ...on more country, more companies, I should say, in the private sector to step up with vaccine requirements that will reach millions more people. If you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, a state or local leader who has been lever. waiting for full FDA approval to require vaccinations, Pull the I'm lever. calling you now to do that. Require it. Do what I did last month. Require your employees to get vaccinated or face strict requirements. Wait, hold on. No, you know it. No. The FDA, the NIH, the CDC, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, the White House, all do not have COVID vaccine mandates. That is 100% Fact, he's fucking full yeah. of shit right there. Do so. what I did. Go get some ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> I think he got those lines mixed up. I, I definitely think that. Uh... Hey, so if I post that video on Instagram, okay, will it get fact checked? Mm. You want to try it, Alan Duke? You might be listening. No, I know Alan Duke doesn't listen to this show. You don't. You don't think Scavino so? might. A couple other people might. Yeah, not Alan Duke. Well, let's let's post that clip on our Instagram and see if it gets fact checked. Sure will. Um. We're going to be having a guest next week. He's a board-certified neurologist. Um, you may see him regularly on Newsmax, I can't OAN, wait. and Tucky. Can't wait to talk to this guy. Uh, he also has a lot of insight and specializes in things to do with addiction. Um, Dr. Russell Saraski will be joining us to break down all of the stuff that we started to unpack today. Um, and really want to take a deep dive into next week. He appeared on... Uh, OAN last night and I was able to pull a clip of basically him kind of giving a little bit of insight into just the aftermath of this announcement following the Biden press conference. So I I think it's good to kind of play a little bit of this before we get into just a tad bit more doom from Noah's favorite. 
Mr. Reservoirs himself. Ooh. Reservoir. But first, let's hear Dr. Seraski. Suggesting COVID vaccine immunity is better than natural immunity. Mm. Here's One America's Cameron Kinsey. A recent study provided by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention indicates the COVID-19 vaccine boosts immunity, more so than having natural immunity. Joining me now is board-certified neurologist Dr. Russell Sorosky. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Dr. Sorosky, the CDC pinpoints data from Kentucky suggesting COVID-19 vaccines offer better protection head, no. than natural immunity. What is your take on this study? Well, unfortunately, the CDC and the NIH are on a mission to completely spin and mislead the results from a study that was done in Kentucky. They claim the results show that people who had natural antibodies that got the vaccine were better off than if they had just gotten natural antibodies. But the result was marginal within the statistical significant room for error. Oh. So that is not what the study showed. Look, the real comparison that matters with respect to all these tyrannical mandates being put on the American people is the comparison between those who are naturally infected versus those who are fully vaccinated. And in that comparison, several studies are very clear naturally infected versus those who are fully vaccinated are equivalently susceptible to subsequent infection. And the expectation by many immunologists actually is that people who are naturally infected are more robustly protected, particularly from variants. So it seems you're suggesting these results from the data provided are a little misleading uh, to mm. the American public. What's the CDC's motive for doing this? Money? What well, do you think? the CDC is not having faith or confidence in the American people. They have made a strategic decision, which is an error, in my opinion, to not be honest with the American people. They should be and explain the truth to the American people that if you have antibodies, the gold standard for immunity, then you are immune. And people in America are intelligent and rational and they want the best for themselves and their families. And I think this is just a fundamental disrespect for the American public. Uh, would you say that natural immunity is a better tool against the virus uh, than the CD-recommended booster shot? Wait for it. Yes. And yes. I, the studies are very clear that with natural immunity, these antibodies are showing protection against not just the spike protein that the vaccine targets, but actually to all 28-plus proteins on the virus. So uh, I believe, in my opinion, and the opinion of most immunologists now, is that it provides natural immunity provides more robust mm. protection against uh, COVID-19 and the variants. Board certified neurologist, Dr. Russell Sorosky, thank you for joining me on One America News. It's been a pleasure. I have been feeling more robust lately. I'm not going to lie to you. There you go. <clears throat> um, so there's that. That's that's We'll call that a teaser clip. Because, you know, yeah. even when you go on the quote-unquote conservative Newsmaxes, OAN, et cetera, they softball those guys still. They don't want to put them in compromising yeah. situations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> listen, when you listen to this episode, if you're interested in anything to do with this narrative, send us a DM of a question that you'd like to ask. He puts up in his Instagram all the time, ask me a question. Yesterday he answered literally like 100 of them, including one that I asked him. Is this in like a live thing or is this like no, just... He puts up like the poll. Yeah. Ask me anything. Oh, nice. I'll keep it open for the next hour. And, oh, that's cool. And, yeah, and he easily put up over 100 answers. And, and they were thoughtful answers, not just one word 
BSs. And I asked him kind of like a two-part question, and he knows who I am because we've been talking for about a month now almost on a regular basis. Um, he Ooh. was supposed to be on today, but they had those two bad storms in New York, and he had yeah. some water damage to his offices, so he kind of moved all of his plaques to a like piece of uh, – drywall and, then, and went on one America last night and he's doing Newsmax tonight. But nice. he asked me this morning, he's like, listen, I can, but I would much rather do next week when I could take care of my stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And we yeah. want to be able to have him for the maximum time, especially on a topic that's so, Oh, I've got some fucking questions and we're going to ask him every single one of them. Got so, some questions. So good. like I tease though, Dr. Fauci was around yesterday promoting the uh, FDA approval of the uh, Pfizer yeah. vaccine. And said, you know, now that it's approved and everybody's going to be mandated to get it, we should be going back to normal anytime soon. Correct? But Mm. is it? Not according to Noah's favorite (laughs) highest paid federal employee. Let's listen to what he had to say. Mm. So, Dr. Fauci, I want to get to the FDA approval in a moment. First, I do want to ask you something about that you said to NPR today. You said if the majority of Americans get vaccinated, quote, Mm. we could start to really get some good control over this as we get back into the fall of 2020. 22 a year from now is that the best case scenario oh, good a year and what does control look like no you know i you know i uh, 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 i have to apologize when i listened to the tape i meant to say the spring of 2022 so i didn't misspeak and in the conversation with mary louise kelly she was saying when do i think we're going to start to get some control i said if we can get through this winter and get really the majority, overwhelming majority of the 90 million people who have not been vaccinated, vaccinated. I hope we could start to get some good control in the spring of 2022. I didn't mean the fall. Anderson I misspoke. Cooper looks okay. displeased. Okay. What, what mm-hmm. does control, what does, that, what does that mean? Or what does that look like to you? Govern me harder, daddy. <laughs> well, to me, that means that you have either the overwhelming majority of the population vaccinated, those who have been infected will have and and have cleared the virus will have a degree of protection and we are recommending that those people also get vaccinated oh wait isn't that herd immunity of sure is. that you yeah. could induce in someone who's been infected who has then recovered and then vaccinated is an enormous increase in the degree of protection if we could do that with the people who have been infected get them revaccinated the people who are unvaccinated now, that 90 million people, get them vaccinated. I think we can get a degree of overall blanket protection of the community that as we get into the early part of 2022, getting through the winter, which could be complicated by influenza, by respiratory syncytial virus, that as we get into the spring, Snow on the ground. we can start getting back to a degree of normality, namely reassuming the things that we were hoping we could do. Like freedom? Rest- yeah. Shut your mouth. Yeah, he, he, he is going to have a dark winter this winter, too. Oh, God, he's such a disgrace. That's your that's the highest paid federal employee. I love that they don't they don't they don't even say the words herd immunity right. anymore because it totally wow. invalidates the whole fucking thing. Yep. We can get the people vaccinated or we can have a large majority of the population who have already had it. Fucking guy. Yeah, but we encourage them to get vaccinated, too. Yeah, get vaccinated twice. <laughs> you know, the. The reservoir of vaccinations is. I know, are you great? No, when when you play a string of all of these clips together, oh, it's just absolutely scary. Fuck is listening to this guy anymore? Even the people on the left that used to like 
idolize a dude. Aren't they questioning it at all? Is there any videos of people getting their Fauci tattoos covered up? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, he, he kind of led into going back to normal. Let's remember who some of the other powers that be have said about it. Two of Noah's other favorites. Oh, boy. Ooh. There will be no return oh. to the old normal for the foreseeable future. Adios. I repeat, there will be no return to the old normal for the foreseeable future. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world, which we had, hmm. um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal, in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. A it will not happen. So that, that it would not be difficult, mein Führer. The first one was the uh, head of the um, World Health Organization, the is guy from Tedros? yeah, I think, yeah, uh, right, who is a documented war criminal and not a doctor, terrorist. He definitely is. Uh, murdered tens of thousands of people in Somalia, or no, it's not Somalia, Ethiopia, uh, before yeah. becoming the director at, of the World Health Organization via the CCP, mm. followed by. Klaus Schwab, <laughs> one of Alex Jones' favorite people on the planet. You would not be able to go about our business. Nine, nine, nine. Exactly, saying that we, <laughs> you know, the world as we knew it in 2019 no longer exists, and we will never get back there because of this man-made bioweapon that's been right. How do people not see this shit and just go, "Yeah, I was on board for the whole, you know, the winning team thing," but now? Seems kind of fucked up. Well, I mean, you're seeing some of the mainstream media kind of bail um, almost on a daily basis and and try to hold them accountable. Hope it's not too late. Mm. But we are going to have to kind of round third here, getting in to stop the steal. There's not too much big information this week other than the Maricopa audit results are coming soon. Are we stopping the steal soon? I hope so. Matt Brainerd kind of led into it today. He did say there are several winning combinations to that. He knows Georgia and what did he say? Wisconsin. There were laws violated there and those were both run awfully. Uh, yeah. But sticking to Arizona, Karen Fan uh, put out a press statement yesterday in regards because we thought we might have been getting it this week early, hopefully by, you know, when the show was originally supposed to air. And what happened was, believe it or not, the uh, Cyber Ninjas. Came down with a little bit of the Rona. Well, yeah. So reading from her statement today, she said, today we're receiving a portion of the draft and the final report from the election audit analysis team. The team is expected to have the full draft ready for the Senate today, and that is yesterday. Um, But unfortunately, the Cyber Ninjas CEO, Doug Logan, and two other members of his staff, in addition to the five-person audit team, have all tested positive for COVID-19 and are quite sick. Um, images of the ballot envelopes in the Maricopa County, uh, in Maricopa County are hoping to have these analyzed for a possible incorporate to incorporate those results into the final report. And I hope the ballot images don't get COVID, right? The Senate legal team will meet on Wednesday after reviewing the draft report. When the remainder of the draft is submitted, the Senate team will hold another meeting to continue checking for accuracy, clarity, and proof of documentation of findings. Once that's complete, the final report will be presented to the Senate judiciary committee and the findings released to the public. And that was via her late yesterday afternoon. That would be Monday afternoon um, from Fe- Karen Fan, Senate president of uh, Arizona. You think those guys are vaccinated? Yeah. Break, breakthrough infections? Right. 
Um, I mean, do you guys really think they have COVID? I don't think so. So I, I think the I'm thing is, opinion, maybe we were able to get a little bit of uh, audio insight, though, from none other than Jovan Pulitzer, who's been doing everything behind the scenes from hacking Dominion machines to working in direct contact with everyone who's running the audits right now. He, he hacked Dominion machines with a flip phone. Well, it was a smartphone, but he still hacked them. And, uh, you know, he was the person last week, I told you, that found the dot matrixes on the on the uh, ballots that show where and when these were produced, not necessarily like a serial number or anything, but to show the accuracy of them being legitimate. Um, he kind of had uh, a little blurb after this statement from Karen Fan last night to kind of quell the flames of anxiety from everybody who just wants to hear the results. Because remember, the first domino is going to trigger so many others that are kind of on the fence. Um, and I want to play that audio because he gave a, he, he's a numbers guy, you know, an I, IQ probably north of 200. And uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, let's just hear what he said, how big this Maricopa audit result is going to be. Ahead full speed. Today, Cyber Ninjas will deliver a report to the GOP state senators who requested the audit of 2.1 million ballots. Republican lawmakers will review the final report and decide on what to do next. Representatives from the audit expect their findings will be made available to the public by the end of this month. Tech expert Jovan Pulitzer, who's leading the Maricopa County audit, says it's imperative for Americans to read the final report. One America's Jasmine Hovey has more. Everybody asked, what can I do? You're about to be armed with the information. Mm. Jovan Pulitzer has a strong message for patriotic Americans as experts finalize the highly anticipated report from Maricopa County's forensic audit. During a podcast episode on Sunday, the tech expert said he is more confident than ever that their 197-page report will expose major problems in the Arizona County's election system. You're about to see in black and white, not theory, in black and white, what happened, how it was done, who did it, how they did it, which means you will know how to stop it. Pulitzer says findings in this report will be put in basic terms that anyone can understand and reveal highly serious problems. I am of the belief even more now than ever that our entire election system must be redone got him and the entire election system is fighting for its life said if i had to choose between a scale of one to ten one being not a lot ten being a a lot i would say it's a 12 then i'll stand by that damn and when you are able to see the public reports you will understand why i say that he's oh there you go i mean that's kind of got to get hyped for that 12 out of 10, kind of off the chart numbers. Right. Yeah, so that was definitely something that uh, caught my attention. I mean, everybody likes Joe Vaughn and all the work that he's done. Um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, just exactly what we're going to be uh, finding out later this week, hopefully when the uh, cyber ninjas are better from, from COVID. Georgia had some news. Uh, this is in regards to the Garland Favorito um absentee ballot audit request that's sitting on the uh, bench of Judge Amaro down there. They have a a brief going on today getting some of that information to the judge in regards to that case. So 
we're waiting to find out just what exactly the ruling is going to be on that, but it hasn't been brought across yet. We probably won't hear anything after the briefs today until sometime in mid-September based off the fact that that's what the subpoenas are requesting to have final everything into the court by. So we'll be getting probably some information later today. We'll bring it to you on Thursday and regarding what's going on down there and just what they said regarding this case. But they have set a September 20th deadline as to, uh, you know, when they need to get this stuff in there and be prepared to go to court regarding it if they're going to continue to try and hold it up, if they're not going to let the uh, forensic audits take place. Michigan and Pennsylvania kind of together I saw in Seth Keschel's feed yesterday, there was a something that they were talking about there, and, and we talked on it briefly with uh, Matt Brainer today. He kind of gave us some information regarding it. You know, there's a uh, narrative going around now, like kind of the same stuff that went on with Doug Mastriano last week where the powers that be, establishment rhinos, and career Democrats that are trying to pull the people who are pushing for the audits away from that with threats of essentially making them janitorial equivalent of elected officials <laughs> because of this, you know, the threats of your committing career suicide to now you'll be marginalized until you're eventually forced out is kind of the narrative that's going on right now. And, um, there was a thread on Seth Keschel's telegram yesterday that kind of outlines that. So you want to go and check it out right now, some of the stuff that's going on in regards to that. Re-energizing going on after we get this Arizona disposition out there. Um, although it'll be scrutinized, like Jovan Pulitzer alluded to, there's going to be black and white in layman's terms, factual evidence on just exactly what they physically had. Originally, what they physically came up with after the forensic audit and where they're at now. Uh, the only thing I want to touch on kind of rounds up everything and stop the steal. I mentioned last week that I was listening to Steve Bannon, not Q's War Room. And uh, he did at some point in the show make like a little comment <laughs> in regards to where we're at, how long this is going to take, what it means, and what some of the possible alternatives are. Um, I also heard Donald Trump at the rally the other day talk about you know, the consequences of rigged and stolen elections. What's going on with that? And uh, we're in a place right now where it's not just going to get fixed night and daily. So getting back to that piece I found last week where Bannon was talking about possible alternatives for Donald Trump in the meantime. And I don't want to get booed like Mo Brooks. Boo. By talking about moving forward. I slowly, as someone who analyzes this for at least a hobby, see it starting to crawl into the narrative. And if you can't visualize it by seeing how long these audits are taken to even get started and how long it's taken the Arizona one, um, we're nearing a point of the writing's going to be on the wall. So let's just listen to this last piece with an open mind and kind of hear what he said without saying but actually said it reaches tremendous amount of people and is technically proficient the other ones i love the other attempts but they just can't don't they don't appear like they can scale 
This can scale, and so that's why tonight you have so many prominent conservatives on this. Everybody should get on Getter and follow this because they're going to be live streaming the, the speech and analysis of the speech of some of the top thinkers around. And you're not going to have all the hate in the bots you've got over at, uh, at Twitter. And this is why the, the left is going crazy right now. Stanford just put out a report trying to hit uh, Getter, uh, and they're trying, to, they're, trying to, they're trying to blow it up. But it's, uh, it's very, very important. I also think that we're in a stage of this. People talking impeachment of Biden and everything like that. I'm a big supporter of the president coming in and being the Speaker of the House for at least 100 days uh, in, uh, after we have the sweeping victory in 2022 to start a formal impeachment process on Biden with real facts and real receipts because it's not going to start until that time. Um, but I think something more importantly or as importantly has to be done right now. You've heard about these meetings President Trump's had with some of his former cabinet members up at uh, at uh, in, in Bedminster, but you've got uh, you've got um, you've got Peter Navarro around. You got Steve Cortez around. You have other people. I think right now, President Trump's got to be putting together more of a formal body, right, to work with him almost on a daily basis to start looking at encountering. We we've got to stop this illegitimate regime from destroying the country as they spin out of control and, quite frankly, spin off the stage because that's what's going to happen. There- so there you have it. He talks about Donald Trump getting into that Speaker of the House spot. He also talks about forming, I guess what the people on the left have called a shadow government and kind of working it via that angle. Um, That was an incredibly hard piece of audio to find, and I had to go on three different search engines and type it in so many different ways because not only did all the usuals who post that stuff not have it, I reached out to most of them and asked them, even everybody connected with the people who said that didn't post it. And they usually, nobody likes to hear themselves talk more than Steve Bannon, not Q. <laughs> and, you know, that was just like a little sneaky, sneaky they threw out there. And for the attentive ear that was listening, you'd hear it. But if you didn't, you missed it. So, but I, I knew it existed and, and we were able to find it and bring it to you guys just to see that that's not necessarily the narrative of this show. Booed Mo Brooks. Boo. Or anybody like that. But uh, something that was really kind of said to someone who's tied directly and pretty closely to Donald Trump uh, moving forward. Well, action pack show. Lads, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Yes. Not bad. Again, we'd like to thank Mr. Matt Brainerd for coming down today and uh, confirming all the good things that he's involved in and giving us all the information we need to pass on to you guys in regards to uh, making sure we don't run into a situation like this at any point down the road. You know what else is down the road? (laughs) The Steak for Breakfast podcast on all major podcasting platforms. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and Google Podcast. Subscribe to the show, rate it, write a review, download it, listen, like, follow, and share our content. Um, show credits for this week, and it's quite an extensive list. We had a lot of audios to pull, and I actually received a couple of good ones from some of our good patriots. Obviously, Mr. Matt Brainerd, The Daily Breb, Miss Wonder Woman, Canadians 10, Cagbro 88, Scalps, and on Patriot 17, thank you very much for finding me that uh, Mike Lindell clip in its entirety. Garbaggio of the Garbaggio Instagram families, Miss Christina Bob from... One American News, Tom Pappard, in chief of the National File, Steve Bannon, and obviously the War Room crew and the Gateway Pundit. Um, don't forget to give our sponsors some love. 
because they definitely need it. They are uh, American-owned and operated small businesses, and they help make small businesses great again. Odyssey is at odyssey.com. They're available on Facebook and Instagram as well, in addition to their website. Stay Ready Gear Holsters. If you don't like all the stuff that they got on their Instagram, you send them an image, they'll customize it for you. Ooh, I'm a picture so of your kids. Excited I'm excited for ours. Yeah, I'm excited to see Noah's custom steak for breakfast one. They're on Instagram and they're at stayreadygearholsters.com. Uh, man rubs, don't mistreat your meat. Getting close to the end of the summer and you want to be able to take care of that uh, deliciousness that's coming off your grill and smoker. They've got rubs, schmears, blowtorches, things of that nature. Don't forget the promo codes in either one of those websites as well. West Coast Survival Arms. Let Mike Kekor take care of all your firearms needs. If you're already strapped and rolling down the street deep, hit him up for some ammo because we could always use more of that. Facebook, Messenger, and 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic and MediocreMedic.com. They're also on Instagram. Tactical gear done right for all our first responders. And if you're really looking to... Uh, be extra fancy with your tactical gear. Mark Joe Friday, dumpbox.us. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. Support our sponsors who help make small businesses great again. Um, upcoming shows, we've got a lot of them. Jordan Sarma will be joining us this Friday. And uh, it's going to be a pretty awesome episode. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the following week, we've had a reschedule. Norbin Laden's taking a step back. She's had some happenings going on, which also include threats on her life. Oh. And is rescheduled for later in September. We'll be joined that day by uh, Hannah Kirkpatrick, formerly of Sky News, and making her third trip to Steak for Breakfast, Geisha Montez. Nice. Yeah, she's all settled in, moving from Miami back to New York now, and will oh. be joining us live from there. So definitely a couple of celebrities on that episode. On the 7th of September, we're going to have Kayla Michelle, the Fit Patriot, our first guest ever, Cannon. Back for her second appearance on Steak for Breakfast. The 10th of September is Jeremy Bravo. Hannah Kirkpatrick will be joining us again on the 17th of September. Norbin Laden rescheduled for September 21st. And uh, we'll have quite a few more surprises between now and then um, in regards to our guests and uh, people coming on the show with us. So stay tuned. Friends of the Week, Axia 6.0, Kalila 3.1, Miss Kathy Needles, Digital Meme Babe 2.0, formerly of the Brenda Memes family, all recently nuked. Carm Vibes 2, Truth on Draft 2.0, and of course, none other than Baby Cakes 2.0. Um, guys, we'll be back Friday, but there's a couple things we ask you to do. We've already asked you to do your own research between now and then. Hold the line and ride it. Buy the dip. Get the fug in here. Snatch the wigs. Let's see what happens. Snatch them. And where we go one, we go all. <laughs> This has been episode 57, Steak for Breakfast. And on behalf of the podcast crew, Noah and Antoinette, hey guys, good job today. Oh, yeah. Wow, you too. We'll be back on Friday. Thanks for listening and take care. There's no way I'm rolling over this thing, and I know you're not either, but this is it. This is the big takeover. World government, forced inoculation, mark of the beast, pedophile takeover. I mean, it's just every demon on earth turned loose against decent people. But I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm scared for those that chose the wrong side.
because God is going to take his time tearing you to pieces.